There we go. We are back again for another fantastic episode of Friday Night Counter-Attack. For everyone listening from our Man United point of view, do stick around to the part two of our podcast. Be ready to listen to Tony Afoke's views on Manchester United later on today, which will be great. And first of all, it's just myself and Salem. We're back again. We've had a nice little summer off. We've enjoyed listening to our pre-recorded content with different people. It's been great to get together again and it was fantastic to meet you in the summer again, Salim, after such a long time away from one another and actually playing football. How have you been, Salim? Yeah, I've been I've been good, thanks. It's been um been quite a quite an off season if you think about it. Um uh, yeah, I can't believe like we met up that day. It seemed like like an age ago now, to be honest. It probably was at least like a month ago. Mm. Uh, I was quite lucky unlucky because I sort of caught COVID. Um sort of two days after that. So I've got COVID for the second time and uh, I was sort of ruled out for a week. I still think I'm feeling some after effects from that in terms of like tiredness and um, just general fatigue and stuff. But but no, yeah, I've just been going to the gym and getting some housework done and, you know, I'm still playing football and stuff. Oh, so, yeah, funny. so just want to keep getting my fitness up. I feel like, you know, I'm a bit behind where I want to be because um, our sort of 11 side seasons in pre-season at the moment too. So, yeah. How's that going for you with your pre-season? Are you fitting right into the team again with this new team? We've had quite a lot of uh, like change at the squad, actually. So like a lot of people that were there have sort of gone. So there's been a lot of like turnover in that sense. But I feel like fitness-wise, I don't feel like I'm there at all. Um, so we've not really had much of a pre-season in terms of training. We've had like maybe a friendly so far. But I feel like I'm I'm sort of I'm sort of doing my weight stuff in the gym anyway. But I'm gonna try and sort of incorporate more hit and some more like sort of running and stuff myself. I feel like. Uh, I think two years ago, even last year as well, I had a really, really good preseason where I was like, you know, every day just out in the field, just, you know, just doing like sort of uh, running and like even like ball work and stuff. And it was really beneficial to me, like throughout, not even just playing 11 aside, but even like on the five side pitch, it just felt like a lot sharper. Whereas now I feel like I don't feel as sharp, but I mean, some of it might be, you know, that fatigue I've just been having from COVID and stuff, sort of energy levels have been quite low. But no, no, I want to sort of, get my fitness back up again um i am going on holiday soon so yeah that's that's where i'm at really brilliant shout out to interpatly for having a resurgence coming up this season as well so it'll be good (laughs) to see how they do in the in the cup competition and in their league as well and if there is anyone listening who is interested in uh being a personal coach for salim because we do know we get personal coaches do listen to our podcast as well feel free uh message salim in the yorkshire area I, I know a few as well. So after this episode, I'll send you their links as well because they travel around the country. They ca- uh, travel around the north as well. So even if it's just football coaches uh, working yeah. with the ball or working about the ball, we'll get you in contact with them. And this is a little plug. So if anyone wants to uh, help Salim with his pre-season when he's back from his holiday, feel free to message us. That would be great. Yeah, honestly, I just, I just want to train. Like, it doesn't even matter. Like anything, anything will do right now. <laughs> Just get on to fitness as well. Even even my fitness has taken a hit this summer since being injured. I've had a few games of five aside. I've had a few games of 11 aside this summer, but I haven't shaken off that injury on my knee. And that's the first time I've ever had to take physio. And it's the first time I've ever had to take time out from being uh, a sporty person, from not being able to actually play the sport that I love, or even cricket, or even little things mm-hmm. like playing in the garden or going for a run. That's why I've incorporated foot golf so much this summer, because it's kept me mentally um switched on in terms of getting to go out getting to see family and friends playing football with them meeting new people as well so we've met so many different courses over the country this season this summer i should say 
And I think even when I'm back fully fit and I'm back um, playing football, I'll still continue to play foot golf because they're really fun videos to make and people have loved watching them. So I'm really excited that more people are watching our foot golf videos than I expected. So I'm really happy about that. And I'm really happy that I'm nearly back to full fitness as well. Had a couple of good games at Friday Night Football in Birmingham. So I'm going to be looking forward to seeing if I can get a couple more in before the summer's ended, which would be good. Um, but yeah, first things first, seeing as you're on the podcast, let's talk about Aston Villa summer. The last time you were on the podcast, we were talking about Diego Carlos being signed quite early, Coutinho being guaranteed in as a, as a new player for you as well. What's changed for Aston Villa for you um, this season, Salim, this summer coming up? Yeah, so it's been, I'd say it's been quite a good pre-season. Um, the signings we've made have addressed like a lot of key areas that needed addressing. And it sort of reiterated my point whereby we in January, in January we, we really, really needed that defence midfielder, but we did go out and get one because, I mean, you could you could just see that, well, now it's evident to see that the plan was to always get Kamara in and, you know, the board's gone and, and delivered that. We've got Diego Carlos in as well. Another big signing. People sort of underestimate it, that one, I think. I think he's probably going to be the key one in terms of, like, being part of the top three defences from, you know, the top five leagues. And um, the other two teams were Man City and Liverpool, for example. So, like, massive achievement there. So, to get that through the door, I mean, both players had, you know, Champions League offers and we beat them off just to get them in, just shows they believe in this project. But, yeah, I'd say it's been a good window. I mean, Chukwemeka sort of left yesterday. Uh, I mean, today I think we got confirmed, was it? So that's a saga that's been boiling over for the, like the last season. And yeah, I, tell, look, tell me I more about that. To stay. I need to know yeah, more about so, that. I only heard about it the last few days on the WhatsApp group as well. But what is the actual story about Chukwemeka to Chelsea? So, the, the, so, so yeah, so he's been going on for like over like a year, um, year and a half, to be honest. Whereby, as in like to, to the best of you know of my knowledge, what what I know has happened is that he sort of wanted more playing time. And he wanted like sort of guaranteed playing time and some like ridiculous money. I think it's the agent that sort of put in his head. And um, he's sort of been refusing to sign a new contract from last season. So when he had two years left on his deal, he's been like refusing to sign under Dean Smith because he, he needs like, re- like, you know, reassurances about playing time. And then obviously Gerard's come in. They've offered him like, you know, the best deal um, any 18-year-olds apparently had in the print. We've offered him the best money of any 18-year-old at the moment in the Premier League and um, yeah. he sort of refused to sign still. But and, with Chukwemeka um, as well, was he, he wasn't even like a starter or a bench player for you, was no, he? Was no. only like two starts, I think, in the league. Was that correct? Yeah, I think he's got two or three starts last season and even then he didn't, he didn't really like take his chance in that sense. But yeah. the thing that frustrates me most is that there's a clear pathway there for the youngsters. I mean, it's gone under the radar quite a bit, but I'd say... I'd say like now us sort of Villa, we've probably got one of the best academies um, in England um, in a sense that we've sort of got rid of some of the older players that weren't making it into teams and we've sort of refused to go on that sort of merry-go-round just loaning players out all the time and them not having any first team sort of pathway. But now we've sort of moved towards having more of a, a situation whereby all players that have a chance of playing in that first team. So that we've been signing like even 16-year-olds, like younger players, trying to get them into. Uh, you might have known there was a few, I think, from Rangers, a couple of hundred K we've been paying, but it's gone under, under the radar, which probably helps, to be honest. Yeah. But yeah, so we've got some really good kids coming through, like Feeney, uh, Kessler Hayden, Archer, who's been quite mentioned a lot, Ramsey. I mean, the, the pathway is there, though, if you think, like, you know, Jack Grealish, 100 million pound player, came through the academy. But more recently, we've got Jacob Ramsey, you know, purely just from the academy and, he just shows that Chukwemeka is only like 17, 18, and um, 
he, he wants to be playing every week, but he's not proven and he's not, you know, shown enough to be able to do that. I mean, if he would have just knuckled down, signed that deal and showed commitment to the team, you know, like Tim Irobinum was another one that came out towards the end of last season, he would have sort of had more chance, I'd say. But yeah, yeah so so what happened is obviously refused to sign and, and um, Gerard sort of refused to like bring him out to the Australia tour. I mean, the thing is that all his mates have gone over as well. So like, you know, they, they were obviously loving it and he's had a good campaign with the England and the under 20s, was it, I think? Under 19s, where they won the, 19s, tournament, in the, the tournament. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so yes, yeah, so it would have been amazing for him to go out to Australia and play a few games. But with this, like, sort of lack of commitment, uh, Gerard sort of refused and said, like, you know, either you sign the deal and you commit, or, you know, we're going to have to sell you kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, you could imagine, like, so he was linked with Dortmund. I think his agent's been in his ear quite a lot that he could be like the next Bellingham type. Mm-hmm. But then sort of dormant didn't really come through. AC Milan were linked, but the bid was quite low. I think it was like a couple of million. And Barcelona like as well, I think. They, they yeah, weren't. I'm not sure if they were truly in, but I mean... They're linked Barcelona always there. throw their name into the list for all these young English players, but they never actually go for them as well. So they're always just kind of throwing their name. Maybe again, yeah. it's probably the agent. Uh, it, it probably it it helps us. I guess it just helps us like drive the price up a bit. But yeah, and then obviously the, the Chelsea was a shock. You know, it came out from nowhere. I was just in the gym and I just see the tweet because I've got notes up for the official page and it's, uh, yeah, Chukwemeka's signed. Mm. So yeah, it was quite interesting. But to think that the, the job that Perslow's done, the CEO behind the scenes, to get £20 million for an 18-year-old that's sort of got two, three starts in the Prem. And he's like, you know, he's not, he's not like even like at Rooney level where, you know, when you're paying that sort of big money, you can see, oh yeah, like, like, wow, you know, that, that guy's worth that. Or like certain other players that people are paying sort of big sums for, for 20 million for someone that's, you know, unknown quantity. And I, I personally don't think he's, he's ready to start for Chelsea. Like even for us, I wouldn't say he was ready to start for Villa. I'd say he'd be a really good player that we could integrate into the team, especially having five subs now. But, but you know, that that's it now. And, yeah, I feel like he's made a. I personally feel like he's made a massive mistake in his career. You know, he could obviously prove me wrong, and and that's football. But yeah, it was sad to see him go. But he's happy to just see the saga end finally. Yeah, it's one of those where. First of all, was that your doorbell ringing in the background? No, no, I think it's, it's my laptop. I just put on mute. Ah, okay. That's right. Now I thought it was a doorbell. I thought he was like ignoring the the, the Hermes man delivering your new Aston Villa kit. Uh, coming up, um, oh, no. but... yeah, my my, my uh, doorbell's been taken off at the moment, so yeah, ah, I'm not okay. going to that. I was going to say, as long as you don't have the Chukwemeka name and number on the back of your new villa kit, you're absolutely fine in that in that respect as well. But just for um, our listeners as well, what position did he play, and what would you kind of liken him to as a player, just so, so we can expect what I, to see at Chelsea? Yeah, if I was to put a direct comparison to him to another player, I'd probably say Pogba. Okay. He was he was, a, he was a really I'd say Pogba regen easy you know he's got like that physicality get up and down the pitch and really skillful on the ball yeah I, to be honest I really rated him he'd, he'd make a really good like number ten camp kind of guy but he could play box to box I wouldn't say he's like a defensive midfielder though but I'd say yeah probably a Pogba regen's probably your best shout. Do you reckon sense. he can fit into that Thomas Tuchel system of that 3-4-3? Three, three? Or do you reckon he'll be one of the front three because he won't work with Kante or Kovacic properly or Jorginho? In, I, in the I, I, honestly, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know why Chelsea have signed him anyway. Mm. And uh, honestly, I can't. I don't know where he's going to fit in. I think Chelsea's priority w- was probably getting a striker. I know they're linked to the Bamayang now. But yeah, yeah, you know, fair play. You know, good luck to Chukwemeka, wherever he goes. I mean, <laughs> I obviously don't want him to see... don't want to see him do well. But, you know same time 
he spent six years at the club and you know to, to say he came from our academy kind of thing and you know made it it would be it would be a nice nice thing but yeah so I, I think he's made a mistake but you know it's, it's his career at the end of the day and I, I just think his agent's probably been in his ear and given the wrong advice it reminds me of Josh Madger when he's at Sunderland coming through on loan. Mm. They went to Bordeaux and then now he went to Fulham on loan. They're just like everywhere now at Stoke. So it's another one of those where the agent's taken over the player's uh, best interests at heart, basically. Yeah. Well, I personally think it would have been better for him to stay at Villa, to work under Steven Gerrard. And if anyone had to look at a midfielder where they can see how much they've improved in six months since Gerrard has been there, Jacob Ramsey. Look how well he's mm. done. Made one of the starting positions his own in that team as well having to build a team around him and Coutinho in that midfield as well, which is really good to see. And I thought Chukwemeka, and given him another season or two, would have been somewhere in that starting eleven yeah. with the five subs that you get to use as well. I thought it would have been quite nice. To yeah, see and him I mean, for him at, at Villa, like the sort of calibre of player to learn from as well now, like, you know, before you could understand why people would leave, go to another club. But mm-hmm. if you're looking like you've got a manager in Gerrard, you know, who's, you know, world-class midfielder, you've got Coutinho, someone that sort of won everything. And you've got so many quality players around him, like Wendy is another one that, you know, we mentioned we've got Kamara there as well. So there's quite a lot of talent around and, you know, and you can obviously see that pathway in terms of Jacob Ramsey making it, as well as sort of a lot of other of the youth team players who, you know, who, who st- Gerard's sort of been clear that if you're good enough, you'll play. And I personally think he has shown that to an extent, but yeah, let, let's see what happens now. Yeah, definitely. And what's your first impressions of, uh, Aston Villa before the season starts tomorrow at the time of the recording as well. Or are you expecting big things from Aston Villa this season, a European qualification? We've been saying it for two years, to be fair. Yeah. So do you think you've improved over the last two years or regressed over the last two years? I'd say we we have improved, but the problem is that everyone else has improved quite a lot too. Like, you know, West Ham can spend 40 million on a, like a player like that, for, for example, and Newcastle obviously spending. So I'd say it's the, probably the most competitive the Premier League has ever been. Even, you know, the top six itself is hard. And now you've got this, like, mini-league in between, which looks hard too. But personally, I feel like, you know, you, at least Europa League is where we need to be, where we want to be and what we're building towards. And then, you know, after that, we need to go towards Champions League and so on. But I think I think Stevie G's got his first proper pre-season and season, you know, to prove himself. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I know a lot of fans were calling for like Pochettino and stuff like that to come in, but no, I think Stevie deserves a chance. Then you've yeah. got sort of selection. So I think Leon Bailey's looked really sharp in pre-season and I'm hoping he can, you know, finally turn up and show everyone what he's worth. This is a question he... I wanted to ask you as well, Stalin. Where do you fit Leon Bailey in this 4-3-1-2 system for Aston Villa? Is he going to be your second striker? Is he going to be um, the attacker midfielder? Where does he fit being a natural winger, um, Leon Bailey? I think if it's a four three one two, it'd be probably the forward. But I think I think our best system would probably be a four two three one or a four three three. Mm. And even in a four three three, I think like either formation, Buendia has to play. He's like our most creative player, and we look quite flat without him. Yeah, so I he feel stretches like the play a lot as well. As we honestly saw. like some, of our, I think he's extremely underrated, and I feel like he has to play every week if we want any chance of getting anywhere near Europe. But to fit, like I feel like he plays an eight potentially, or even Coutinho. Mm. Because he's done it before, you know, especially Buendia, he's sort of quite an aggressive player, which people don't really see, but he can really get stuck in the challenges and stuff. So, yeah, I feel like if we can solid, like we've got a more solid backing now in terms of having a proper defensive mid, because Douglas Louise was always a box-to-box midfielder playing in a defensive mid role, which hasn't fully suited him. So we've got like a specialist in Kamara now, you know, Champions League level. We've got Carlos at the back, 
And, you know, we've improved, like, look, you've got Luca Dean on one side, you've got Cash and you've got Pilot for the centre-halves that are quite uh, sort of challenging for that spot uh, next to Carlos. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really interested. We've got a lot of depth. I think there's players that hopefully will play more, like Sanson, for example. I think he's another Champions League quality player that's just not been given a proper chance to show his worth. I know that there's a rumour going around that we're after, like, another forward. So, I think by forward, it'll probably be like a winger slash striker type because we're looking to get rid of sort of a couple of players and we're after like another number eight so so yeah so it's exciting times at Villa um with the way that our board works you know you could be after a player like you, you don't even know who you're after and somebody could just sign like randomly like I remember talking about Danny Ings uh last season actually I think he signed on this day last year I remember I was uh, yeah I was, I was at the I was beach that day out. I, I, I was out shopping somewhere I think I was in Leeds or something I was just I was in my car and uh, I was chatting to my dad and my dad was like, oh, you know, maybe we should go for someone like Danny Ings. I was like, oh, there's 0% chance of that happening. Like, it's not going to happen. And literally, the second I said that, literally two minutes after, I just get a notification from the Villa app saying, oh, we are deli- delighted to announce the signing of Danny Ings. And I was like, oh, bloody hell, like, what the hell's happened here? But yeah, so even like Danny Ings, like, he, he'd even tell his own wife that he was joining Villa. So we've got a really good sort of backing. And yeah, it's just, we just need to have a really good season this season. And you know, push on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was at the beach in Wales when, when that sign happened. I just saw the group chat light up. And I was like, oh, Danny Ings, we've never heard a rumour about it at all, which is great. And for him to not even tell his own wife is fantastic as well. He was like, nah, I've got to keep it so secret. And it was something that I wanted to kind of ask you as well, just a final question on Villa before we move on to my next topic, Salim. How do we solve that Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings partnership up front? What works for you? Would you rather just see Watkins start, Ings on the bench, Ings start, Watkins on the bench together? How does it kind of work for you um, going into the season? Um, I feel like it's going to be one of those where both should get a chance across the season. Like, you know, we should mix it up. Some days we'll play two up top. You know, we could play three at the back kind of thing or even four at the back. But I feel like there'll be some games where, you know, we need to play both of them up top. Personally, at the moment, I'd say probably I'd probably start Ings as my striker. Um, I feel like he's more clinical than Watkins. I don't know. Watkins has been getting a lot of hate, but his goal record's not that bad in the Premier League. Um, he, he's just not clinical enough to be hitting 20 uh, yeah. a season, which is where he needs to be, whereas, you know, Danny Ings has proved that he can do that. I feel like um, the, the good thing about Watkins is like, and Ings as well, like, you know, the, the amount that they press. So, you know, Watkins could always play as like a left, inside left kind of player because I prefer the balance with like a three up, up top kind of thing or even a four, two, three, one. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's obviously going to be interesting and you've got Cameron Archer in the mix as well. Um, Keaton Davis is still there at the moment I don't know how long he will be there but yeah I, I feel like it's going to be a season where I hope both get you know kind of like last season get chances but Gerard did make the point he doesn't want to start one one week and then the other one the other week because you know they both should technically be starting um, but yeah it's going to be interesting to see how Gerard fits it in you know I, personally I, I don't think we should try and shoehorn them in either I feel like if the need is there to play two up top then do it. If not, then you know either play Watkins, you know, kind of either on the left, which he can do, or just start with Ings for now. Because I personally feel like Ings is the one that should be starting at the moment. Definitely, no, that's good to hear as well. Because both of them, both fringe players, potentially even calling up for England as well, which would be good to see if they make it into the November squad as well for Qatar in 2022. But it'd be good to see how Danny Ings actually settles into the season, settles into the system with Steven Gerrard as well, because. Thought Watkins was probably the better out of the two that settled into the system, but obviously Ings is a clinical finisher and has done it for a number of years um, as well, which will be good to see. Right, moving on to the next topic. Uh, we didn't have 
much really to talk about this summer because it's just great to see how the women's Euros has come across this summer as well, Salem. So again, the World Cup's in November. Lots of um, progress but towards that as well. Not so much for England in the national side as well after losing all of those games back in the Nations League back in June as well. But um, just from your point of view, Salem, what are your thoughts on the women's Euros, England winning it? And do you reckon there could be something that can build forward from there as well? What, sorry? About the women's Euros. What's your first thoughts on like, England yeah. winning the Euros? Yeah, I mean, it was nice to see England finally win a tournament. Um, you know, it's a long time coming. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was sort of um, following the game and, you know, I think um, on XG, I think we were losing at full time, but obviously we kept it at 1-1. And then I think, I feel like the difference is like we, we went to win the game in yeah. extra time. I, I feel like we, I felt that, whereas under Southgate, I'd say you could say it's a completely different approach whereby we're more sort of scared and reluctant to attack. But yeah, you know, it's it's amazing what's happening out there. I think it was um I think it was like the record attendance as well. So it just shows like the sort of buy-in that we are getting for women the women's game. Uh but yeah, you know, I feel like it's it's definitely a platform for them to build on, uh, as in like women's football and there's been a lot of positivity around social media. I feel like I've re- retweeted a few bits too. And you know, that we just need to sort of increase this and try and get it to that wider audience. Definitely, hundred percent. And for it to be the most watched Euros game, the most high, the highest attended Euros game from both men and women's point of view is outstanding. It shows how positive the gameplay has been, how positive the game has been for everyone to actually get involved in as well. Fortunately, earlier this week, we got to speak to former England international Ellie Wilson um, about it, and she was loving it. Loads of people have been loving it. They've been singing everyone's praises. Serena, the coach, has been outstanding, and the fact that. People are even considering her to be to, for her to be the next England coach for the men's team goes to show how well she's done for the England national team and for the country in general, which is really good to see. And I believe that it should be something where the England women's teams actually get to educate the men's team before Qatar in terms of how well they did in their tournament, what they can do mentally to prepare, how they can go against these other teams, these bigger nations as well, which they did against Germany. Yeah. Germany always winning these tournaments in the Euros besides Netherlands the last time. And England completely dominated the tournament, which I love to see as well, which is really good. But yeah, all for it for women's football and, and improvement going forward. I'm looking forward to seeing what more we have in store this upcoming season as well. But the reason why everyone's come onto this podcast is because the Premier League season is back tomorrow. It is going to be the first game Friday night, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. We'll be going through each preview one by one. Salem, Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. What are your first thoughts on Arsenal's transfer business this summer? Um, yeah, I was actually I've actually been quite impressed with Arsenal. That's one thing I I definitely put out there. Um, the, the business they've done has has been really good. You know, getting Gabriel Jesus in, I feel like he's he's a gem, uh, genuine Premier League talent, and I feel like he's got this opportunity to be you know like the, the main man now. He's I don't think he's really ever had that sort of role. Like you know, he was always Aguero at Man City, and then Man City just went to play him without a striker. They played him on you know right wing kind of thing. I think, like, I remember hearing someone from the Brazil coach, like, asking him, like, you know, are you a striker? Are you a winger? And his answer was, like, you know, I'll, I'll be either. But, you know, he needs to commit to one position and, you know, really, you know, push on. Like, he's somebody that I'd, I'd love to see him get 20 goals. I feel like Arsenal have put themselves in a good position to get that, to get top four. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else they've got in. I, I was watching Odegaard that day and he looked really good too. Just made him captain. Um, I think he'll be one to watch this season as well, Martin Odegaard. Philippe being yeah. club captain will be great for his confidence, will be great for his uh, morality. 
his the way that he plays. I've always loved watching Odegaard since he was not when he was really young at Real Madrid, but once I've properly seen him week in week out, it's great to really watch him and appreciate what he has as well. And really, with Gabriel Jesus being the main striker now, Eddie and Ketia being the backup striker, I said last week on our podcast that I think Arsenal still need one more striker because with the five subs that you've got, with the World Cup coming up and Jesus most likely being in the squad, you can't rely on Enketia to back up Gabriel Jesus every single week as well. And you can't rely on Saka being their top scorer all the time as well. You need another source of uh, goals in that front line. And I think if they were to look for another striker, it would be something quite suitable for them as well. It would be really good to get Arsenal one more striker and they'd be actually more or less competing for that top four, I think, which would be really good to see. Yeah, I, I was just going to mention somewhere like a player that I quite rate at Arsenal is Emil Smith Rowe, but I'm not I'm not too sure what's happening with um with him at the moment whether he has been playing or uh but but yeah no I'm I feel like you know Arsenal should have um I think they should have a decent season but yeah in terms of the Palace game you know they've got some decent talents like Eze or Lisa and there was there was a younger lad I can't remember his name now but he, he was saying he's like a Wilfred Zaha region mm. um but yeah no. Patrick Patrick's done a good uh, Vieira's done a really good job there so um, good to see how, how they get on but I reckon you know Arsenal will beat them oh another player actually I just remembered it was Fabio Vieira you he's signing. the one that I've signed in uh, Football Manager mm. my current save and um, yeah quality, he's a quality player and I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing him play in the Premier League actually Raksaki um, Raksaki yeah Raksaki was the region from the Zaha region you mentioned about Crystal Palace he was the one that it, yeah. played against Man United last season and just obliterated Diogo Dallo so I'm just kind of there like yeah I've kind of seen how this guy is going to be coming up this season as well what are your thoughts on Crystal Palace um, going forward this season do you reckon they're going to go for another mid-table finish do you reckon Vieira is going to improve them any further what are your thoughts on them well it's, it's similar to what I was saying earlier actually that there's um, quite a lot of teams you know, you've got your sort of top six and then you've got all these teams vying to be part of that top six. And, you know, I'd say they're up there in that conversation. Like, there's, there's quite a lot of teams and there's not much that separates these teams. I, I don't think they're going to be in, like, a relegation battle, but they're, they're another team that I, that I see, you know, hope that are going to, you know, push us, Newcastle, and, um, you know, the, the other teams around there to try and get up to that top eight, you know, some spot near there. But I, I'm not sure, you know, sort of, I've not really followed them that closely to see how they'll do, but they, they are going to miss Conor Gallagher, for example. Mm-hmm. Definitely will do. And it'll be somewhere where you're wondering if Gallagher will actually get game time at Chelsea with uh, Kovacic, Jorginho and Kante all ahead of him as well in those uh, midfield three. And lots of cheek as well, to be fair. He's always ahead of him, which will be the case. Um, but yeah, cracking on to the next game. Oh, wait, I was going to say Arsenal win anyway. I think Arsenal should win this, but yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Palace throw up a Friday night shock um, at Selhurst Park tomorrow. Um, Fulham versus Liverpool uh, Fabio Carvalho's former team where he's now at Liverpool as well Liverpool are looking strong this season we saw the community shield last week where Darwin Nunes um, scored and opened his goal as you can probably expect and as our listeners probably expect as well I was crushed when he went to Liverpool I really wanted him at Man United man as you know I wanted him to be our new main man for the next five years going forward but unfortunately Man United are mostly clowns in this transfer market compared to other teams as well and People are clowns in terms of trying to clown Darwin Nunes. And I think Darwin Nunes will hit 20 goals this season for Liverpool, not just in the Premier League, but outside of it as well. I think he's going to be a, a good mainstay in their team. I do think Liverpool will miss Sadio Mane. They will miss the experience or miss the impact or miss the one-on-one dribbling. I know you've got Luis Diaz there, who's had a fantastic start to his Liverpool career as well. But I think they'll be they'll miss they'll miss that X Factor 
with uh, Sadio Mane. They're definitely going to beat Fulham on Saturday uh, afternoon as well. But what are your thoughts on Liverpool this season? Do you reckon they're going to go for another title challenge or do you reckon they're going to be missing Sadio Mane's key impact at the top of their line, uh, attacking line? I was quite surprised to see um, Mane leave initially. I know that this happened mm. like sort of uh, quite a while back now, but all the talk was on Salah leaving and Mane staying. That, that's what I think. You know, I'm not, you know, I don't follow Liverpool that closely to say that, but yeah, it's going to be a refresh for them. Uh, that Carvalho lad looks quite decent. I feel like Darwin Nunes, he's somebody that I was really interested in seeing play in the Premier League. I know on Twitter there's been like these comps of him when he's had like a bad game, like sort of disaster class performance, you know how it is on Twitter. But yeah, yeah no, I, I want to see I want to see him do well and, you know, lead the line for Liverpool. Um, they've got Joe Gomez back. He signed a new deal this season as well. Definitely. Uh, yeah, so I'm... Um, you know, again, with Liverpool, you know that they're going to be in that top four and they're going to challenge Man City. But, you know, who, who knows? Like, they it could be it could be their year this year to go for the title or Champions League. And um, I, I, I genuinely want to see Nunes do well. And, you know, they've still got quality talent like Jota in there as well. Definitely. Can't, can't write him off either. Can't Lewis ignore Diaz, him. It's all brand new yeah. deal as well for Jota. So it's going to be good to see how he fits into the system once again under Jürgen Klopp. And even the thing... Um, Diaz, sorry, he's sort of going to have a full preseason. People that understand, you know, how important it is to have a full preseason. You know, these players that join halfway through the season, you know, the world difference. But for some players, it just takes time to bed in and settle. And a lot of players like don't look that good. Like you know, at Man City, for example, you've got Cancelo who didn't look that good that first season, and then all of a sudden, completely changed. And they say you know one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. It happens as well, and I think the same is going to happen with Jack Grealish as well. It will happen where. Um, they've just they've just had that first season to bed in properly, and it'll be the same for a couple of these players in these bigger teams as well. And in the second season, you'll see a lot more um, from them going forward. But what are your thoughts on Fulham signing Paulina, Andreas Pereira, uh, Mitrovic? Have still got up front as well, losing a few players this summer. Do you reckon they have enough to actually survive uh, with Marcus Silva as manager, or do you reckon they're going to go straight back down as we're used to seeing um, with Fulham Football Club? Personally, I think I think Fulham's one of the teams that are probably probably would go down to be honest I feel like them them and Bournemouth but yeah I feel like it's going to be a Liverpool win uh, convincing convincing win hopefully fantasy league wise yeah definitely got Salah back in the team again needs to be done uh, probably captain as well I would say so it's going to be good to see yeah. what Mohamed Salah does um, reckon Mohamed Salah will be top scorer this season because I know you mentioned Haaland um, off camera before um, but do you reckon mm. Mo Salah will be actually more the main man at Liverpool now that will be feeding him a lot more uh, this this season. Well, I mean, it, it's it's inevitable that he's part of the conversation, you know. But I feel like I've, I've mentioned before, you know, his his legacy is quite underrated for a goal scoring winger in the Premier League. So mm-hmm. numbers that he has has delivered. But yeah, he, he'll definitely be part of the conversation. Would I say he's going to be number one? I, yeah, it's too early to commit to an answer for that. I mean, we've I actually it's a prediction, com- but yeah. yeah. We've committed to an answer to that. So if anyone is listening, go to our social media pages. Or you'll see us on Instagram. We, we made a prediction a couple of weeks ago and reposted it, which is good. Right, back to your team now. Bournemouth versus Aston Villa. You're away for the first game of your season, Salim. What are your thoughts yeah. on the game? Um, yeah, so I've, I read an interesting fact, actually. So in Bournemouth's last five opening day, well, only five opening day Premier League games they've had, Four of the teams that they played, four of the teams involved have been relegated. The fifth one was Man United. Yes, yeah, so I think Man United was, was the one that didn't get relegated. But the other four, yes. well, I remember there was, it, it was it was us as one of them, and it was them themselves as one of them too. Uh, but yeah, so 
I feel like I feel like you know well where everyone's quite unsure to be honest on what our starting eleven is going to be uh, in terms of the centre back pairing. The, Who would you start, Salim? If it was Who'd up to me, if it was up to me, I'd, I'd probably have Emmy in net. I'd go Cash, Conser, Carlos, Dean, hmm. and then in, in midfield I'd have like a three of. Um, I'd probably go with Kamara, McGinn, and probably I'd go Ramsey. Yeah. And then the front three, I'd have, you know, I'd have Coutinho, I'd have Ings and Buendia. But the thing is, like, I'd, I'd want to fit Douglas Luiz in that midfield, or I'd want to fit Bailey or even Watkins. So it's too hard to commit myself to a team. But at the moment, I'd, I'd probably say that. Yeah, but you've had better problems in the past and you've had worse problems in the past as well. So having yeah. better players in your squad is a lot better. And obviously with the five sub rule, like we mentioned before, you're going to be able to get these players on for game time later in the game, which will be really good to see as well. But like you said earlier on the podcast, Aston Villa looking for challenging for a European spot as well. And with the players that you have, I personally think it's going to be a good season for you guys as well. I think Gerard will fully have his, his team that he wants. He's been able to work really well and efficient in the transfer window mostly thanks to your board and your recruitment staff, which has been good to see. But um, just regarding this game against Bournemouth as well, it's not going to happen again, is it, where you lose to them or you play against them and then you get relegated at the end of the season. It's not going to... No, no, no. It's, uh, I feel like I feel like we will beat them uh, probably like 2-0, 3-0. But it's going to be interesting to see if we can... how we play as well. Like, you know, if Gerard's truly implemented the style because when he did come through the door, we were playing some like really good one-touch football triangles and stuff like even at home to Man City, we sort of played them off sort of played them off the park in uh, patches. And yeah, I think obviously Buendia was a key part of that and uh, playing out from the back. So it's going to be interesting to see how we play and um, the setup as well. But no, I'm obviously really looking forward to it. You know, every pre-season, every sort of off-season is tough, you know, for football fans like us that just can't wait to see our team play. So yeah, so, exactly. yeah I've followed, I've, I've watched every pre-season game anyway. And yeah, just, just look forward to that curtain raiser for us. Final question on Aston Villa for you today, Salem. Who's going to be your top scorer this season? So again, I, I have no idea. I mean, a lot of people are putting that outside chance and it being Leon Bailey, but mm. it's going to be between Ings and Watkins. Watkins has done it last two seasons, but I'll put my neck out and uh, I'll take Ings. Go on, then. Ings, good. Ings 15. Ings with 15. Ings with 15 goals this season. We'll remember this in May when Ings gets 20 Ings goals this 15. season as well. And uh, Watkins with 13. 13. And then Bay with like 10. And loads of I, don't know, I, don't, I don't want to go that far on the prediction. Oh, it could be it could be the case as well, which would be good. Uh, next game we've got is Leeds versus Wolves. So literally, I'm looking forward to seeing how Leeds do under Jesse Marsh with his new players. Leaving, um, obviously Rafinha was leaving and Calvin Phillips was leaving as well, as they both have done to different teams over the summer. But... I'm really looking forward to seeing this Leeds team. I want to see how they do. They barely survived relegation last time on the final day of last season. Wolverhampton Wanderers will probably be a steady Eddie mid-table team as they normally are, which is good for them because they're overachieving, in my opinion, as well, the, the kind of team that they have. The players are good, but the team that they have in general, I think 10th would be good for them. What are your thoughts on this game, Salem, with Leeds and Wolverhampton Wanderers? Um, so I think I think in terms of Leeds, like they've, they've sort of lost a lot of... Um... Like, you know, they've lost some of the best players, Rafinha and Calvin. And I just feel like they could have maybe got more money for them. I feel like they've not got enough money. If you think, like, we got 100 for Jack, for example, last season, I feel like they could have 
Yeah, maybe done us something a bit similar. So I just I'm not. Like I'm that. not even sure if um, Barcelona have actually paid Leeds United yet for the Rafinha deal being undisclosed as well. well when are they going to? No re- idea. When are they going to receive the funds for that Leeds United 60, 70 million pounds worth of a deal? I'm not even sure if they've actually got that in their bank account. That's going to be fun yeah. to see. Them. 1.6 billion in debt, Barcelona. It's incredible to see how that's been allowed um, in FIFA. Um, but yeah, sorry, Carol, you were saying. Yeah, like um, yeah, I've got I've got no idea um, where where they will finish because it's going to be like it's going to be a tough time for them because they're going to have to bed in all the sort of new talent that they've signed and um, obviously they've sort of um, you know filled the holes that were left. But I feel like they could have done a bit better in the market in terms of getting more money for you know arguably two of their best players. Um, Personally, I I don't see Leeds getting a top ten finish. Um, a lot of my mates at work actually like Leeds fans. So, you know, mm-hmm. I hope I hope we finish above them again. To be honest, go to another Leeds game away as well. So go, make sure you're in the way. Yeah, 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 I need to do that. Watch Villa versus yeah. Leeds, which will be good. No, that's, that's decent enough as well. Um, Wolves. I don't think anything uh, spectacular will happen to them this season. I could be wrong, and they could win the League Cup. But I think finishing around top ten will be uh, expected for them, and I think they'll be absolutely fine with what they have this season as well. Adama Traore back in the squad as well after his loan to Barcelona. So that was quite good to see. Next, we've got Newcastle versus Nottingham Forest. We've got the new boys and we've got the new money people as well. So uh, Sven Botman, again, someone who I love uh, watching at Lille. Um, obviously, I thought he should have been a Man United centre-back. He's gone to Newcastle this summer, so it's been good to see how they've actually gone for him. And Newcastle, at this time of speaking, are still trying to bid for James Madison at um, Leicester City as well. So that could be a new attacking lineup with James Madison in that Newcastle side as well, Salim. But what are your thoughts on Newcastle um, this season, Salim? Do you reckon they'll actually challenge for a European spot? Do you reckon they'll go top 10 with the players that they've got in their team with Eddie Howe as manager? What are your thoughts? I think I think they can go top 10. It's going to be good for Eddie Howe, like we've mentioned. You know, he came in halfway through the season in a bad situation. I wanted them to go down at the time, to be honest. But Same. yeah, I feel like he can really push on for that top 10. Uh, Sven Botman was a guy that we sort of, were after for quite a while, but he ended up going to Newcastle. So he's somebody that I want to see how he does in the Premier League. Could end up being, you know, like a Maguire part two kind of thing. But no, I, I feel like I feel I feel like he'll be a decent player. Uh, I feel like Newcastle should get that top ten finish that they want to. Yeah, exactly. And do you reckon they'll end up going for James Madison? Do you reckon they'll pay over the odds for someone like James Madison? Yeah, there's been a lot of links with James Madison, but Leicester sort of refusing to sell. Um, not sure. You know, I'm not sure if they'll get him in. If he does leave Leicester, then they've got some serious problems there. Um, but yeah, no, I, he, honestly, like, we'll just have to wait and see. But it would be interesting if they got him, you know, they'd be a real signing of intent. Uh, yeah, that they want to improve and they're going to look to go forward up in this table as well, which will be good to see. And Nottingham Forest having Jesse Lingard as a free transfer, 200k a week for a, a one year deal. I'm I'm surprised why Jesse Lingard has gone for this. Like, again, he wants to be a bigger fish in a smaller pond. No mm. disrespect to Nottingham Forest, but when Newcastle were after you, when I think Everton were after him as well, and obviously West Ham were after him at the same time, why not go for someone who's challenging the top six in West Ham? Why not go somewhere where you've been before and you've been loved and revered by the fans at the same time? And I actually played really good football under David Moyes at the time. I really don't get that sign-in. I get, I get his personal reasons, but for footballing reasons, I don't understand it. So... Do you expect much from Nottingham Forest and Jesse Lingard this season? I expect much from Brendan Johnson, their main superstar striker that we all know from the FA Cup run last season. But I don't expect much from Jesse Lingard to actually bring this team out of that relegation fight um, so far. That's what I think, Salah. 
Yeah, that's that's the thing to be honest. But we'll have to see how how it goes across the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how it goes. Next, we've got Spurs, the big spenders in the in the summer transfer window as well. Great signings all round, I would say. Longley was a decent sign. Jed Spence, uh, obviously again, yeah, got Bissouma, who you wanted for ages, and yeah, we we wanted, I wanted personally, yeah, yeah. Honestly, Spurs is a team that I've been another team along with Arsenal that I see as impressed because it it should make the sort of top of the league more interesting. Obviously harder for you guys, but yep. I don't think you guys are part of that conversation anymore, but harder for like Man City and Liverpool. Um if these if Arsenal and Spurs can go for the title too, it'd be an amazing uh title race. Um I feel like Conte's come in, you know, he's a proven winner, you know, he did it at Chelsea when you know the odds were sort of stacked against him at that point and, you know, came on to winning run when he and switched to uh, three at the back, you know, the first one of the first people to do it after very long time in the Prem and for somebody to for it to work you know he had a long season he did that as well yeah yeah he he was losing 3-0 to Arsenal I remember and um, half time we just switched to five of the three at the back whatever you want to say and you know he changed the game for him and and so yes Arsenal sort of caused him to win the league based off that I'd say but yeah no um, in in general sorry yeah they've made some good signings you know Pissumo's one they already had Kulusevsky who I rate highly from before Richarlison you know somebody that I don't fully rate um, but it's going to be interesting to see how they do because I was sort of watching some of their pre-season uh, clips of how hard they were training as well so they're going to be a really uh, physical team like filled with energy under Conte and you know he's not, he's going to expect you know like everything from his team 100% every game so I, yeah. I, I really genuinely, genuinely want to see how, how well they do this season and Antonio Conte recently said today as well that he was saying that we may not even be done with the signings as well. We may have to find one or two more to actually strengthen our squad. And it goes to show they actually are spending a lot to kind of support Harry Kane, to support Son in that attacking lineup as well, which will be frightening to see for any defence going forward. And obviously Southampton are the first team facing this, this attacking lineup on Saturday as well. I'm very worried about Southampton. They haven't reinvested quite a lot. They haven't even got a striker to replace Broger from last season as well. They haven't even replaced Danny Ings properly with the goals that he supplied two seasons ago. I'm quite quite worried about how Southampton could be in that relegation fight with how they're kind of looking. I always I always back Hassan Hootwell. I do like his coaching methods. I do like him as a coach. But I think they're a bit brassic at the moment with what they have. What are your thoughts on Southampton? Yeah, just sort of um, with what you're saying, to be honest, I link in with that. I, I'm, I'm not sure. Like I feel like they could be in some sort of relegation problems this season. I'm not going to say they're definitely going to go down, but I feel like they're going to be somewhere there because obviously Brojo was a key part of that squad last season and he's gone back to Chelsea and it doesn't look like they're going to get him back. I feel like he'd be a good signing anywhere. And they've still got, I think they've still got Liveramento. He's someone that I rate uh, quite highly. Yeah. But yeah, other than that, they've got Ward Prowse still there. But, you know, I, I just don't, I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure. But I feel like they might be in that relegation scrap. Yeah, definitely. And even with our predictions that we forgot to say over the last couple of games, I'll just go through mine. Liverpool win, um, Aston Villa Bournemouth will go for a draw, Leeds Wolves will go for a Leeds win, Newcastle will beat Nottingham Forest, and Spurs, I think, will convincingly beat Southampton at home um, on Saturday as well. Um, but I'm guessing you would go for a Villa win, a Liverpool win, Leeds Wolves, what would you say for that? Draw. Draw. Newcastle, Nottingham Forest? Thing is, I actually want Forest to do well, so I'd probably I'll yeah, go for same. Forest win. Forest win, and I'm guessing you go for a Spurs win as well, right? 
Yeah, Spurs win. Spurs. It'd be so Spursy if they lost first game of the season at home to Southampton. That'd be so funny to see. Hassan Hill just comes up with a good yeah, together. Everton versus Chelsea. So Everton have um, lost for Charleston, as we know. They've got Tarkovsky and Dwight McNeil signed as well. Uh, I think they were in for Corne, but I believe Corne may be going to West Ham. I'll check that in a bit um, as well. But Chelsea signing Raheem Sterling, who I've loved. I think that's been one of my favourite signings of the summer. Kuli Bali as well. And obviously Chuck Pomeka that we mentioned earlier on the podcast as well. Um, yeah. Realistically speaking, Salem, I think Chelsea are probably two defensive signings away. And uh, just confirming as well, Azpilicueta signed a contract extension. So he's actually staying for the next two years at Chelsea. Um, as a minimum, yeah. well, which will be great. But uh, what are your thoughts on Chelsea this summer um, so far? Do you reckon they've got it in them to actually challenge for the top four after what you said about Spurs? And yeah, Arsenal? I feel um, like they've had a deep. I think they've had a decent window. You know, signing Kulibali, one of you know sort of best better centre backs that are around, and you know Raheem Sterling. I'm going to move on to Man City afterwards, but I think Man City losing Sterling and Jesus is is quite massive, really. You know, two proven. Winners that, you know, they both won the title series. They know what it takes to win it. And, you know, they've popped up, especially Sterling. He's scored 100 Premier League goals, which, you know, isn't spoken about enough, in my opinion. Like, you know, he does miss quite a lot of chances, but he does, he's not that bad in terms of finishing and even his build-up play. Like, Pep sort of moulded him into that Pep Guardiola style of play and he's learned a lot under him. So, I, I hope he does well under Chelsea. Um, yeah, other than that, Koulibaly's quality signing too. I feel like maybe, yeah, if they can get another centre-back in. I know they were after a few names. Was it Kimpembe they were after at one point? Yeah, they're after um, Kimpembe. And they've got quite a couple of midfielders and you know attackers. Zayek, Pulisic are still there too. Havertz. I think the striker situation is the one that does need sorting out unless you know they end up playing like the false nine. Again, I, I um, think they'll do that. They'll just play loads of false nines and rotate it around because it suits their style of play when they don't have a proper if, number nine. if not... If not, I feel like they could just give Broja a chance. Like, you know, he's, uh, I've watched some clips of him and I've seen a bit of him last season and it looks like he's quite technically uh, quite gifted too. So, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a good... Hopefully, I feel like they... Well, not hopefully, but I think they'll have a decent season and, you know, they, they are going to be part of that top four conversation. But whether they can really challenge for the title, I'm not too sure. Yeah, exactly. I think they'll still be in the hunt for the top six. It'll be... It'll be... Odd to kind of rule them out now, but again, this is what we kind of do on the podcast. But last season, I thought they were going to win the league, so I could be in the complete opposite direction of wrong again, going for them just being in the top six. But they are linked with Leicester City's uh, Fafana as well, so they could be going in for him at centre-back as well. That would be another quality sign, I think. He's a fantastic centre-back. He'll work really well with working with Koulibaly and Thiago Silva if he was to go into them as well. Uh, I think Chelsea are going to win that game easily, which would be perfectly fine against Frank Lampard's Everton. But going on to Leicester City against Brentford, the Sunday game, one of the Sunday games, I should say. Leicester are in qu- quite a bit of trouble, I would say. No signings from them. Casper uh, Schmeichel leaving to Nice of all teams, nice, quite yeah. random. James Madison being... Million as well, I feel like somebody in the Premier League should have... Maybe it was out of respect they didn't want to play for the Premier League team at the moment. Yeah, most likely, I would say. It would have been quite suitable for him as well. But they should easily have been going for some of these players that are like fringe players from different teams. Like Ainsley Maitland now Ainsley, Ainsley for Leicester would have been a good sign. And I know they haven't gone for him, but I thought it would have been a decent centre mid defensive mid players for them to go for. But it's quite worrying to be a Leicester fan already this summer. Unless Brendan Rodgers will continue playing well with their starting eleven, relying on JD, Jamie Vardy being fit every time and James Madison not leaving. And Tillum is not leaving as well. It's, it's big to see how their bigger players are being kind of courted by other teams as well. What are your thoughts on Leicester? Do you reckon they'll have enough to actually 
survive the top 10 or do you reckon it'll be again just floating around 10 below to 15 I would say he's with Leicester like you know they've missed out on top four two seasons in a row just by sort of they're messing it up themselves on the last day but they did they've been doing well but there's talk of like Tielemans leaving as well and you know Schmeichel's gone so they've lost some key players in there um then there's talk about Madison obviously wanted to leave Vardy's getting on but I feel like even the players are signed like Pats and Daka and these guys I don't know if they've like truly hit the ground running Sumare um, another one as well from last Sumare, season Sumare yeah I mean then you've got like Fofana somebody who I highly rate um, you know I sign him a football manager as well quite often but if he goes to Chelsea that's going to be a massive signing for Chelsea and a, a really like, big problem for Leicester so Personally, I, I think I don't think Leicester is going to be part of that top eight conversation this season. I feel like they're one of the teams that I'd call like maybe one of the losers of the transfer market at the moment. Obviously, it could turn around, but I just feel like they haven't strengthened enough compared to the teams around them. And um, you know, it's quite the Premier League is quite unforgiving in that sense. Definitely, and Brentford as well. They've had a up and down type of summer transfer windows. Trakoshka, they got a free transfer, which is great to see as well. Um, but realistically, Thomas Frank's team, I reckon they'll be in and around the relegation area. They they won't have that bounce that they had last season as well. So it'll be really difficult for them to kind of stay up with the teams that they've got around them. That's just my personal opinion. And I thought it would have been good to have seen Ivan Tony leave for another team this summer as well. It would have been good to have seen him move on from Brentford because he kept disrespecting them last season as well on social media and in public. So that wasn't nice with them, Brentford fans, to see that. But um yeah, I think Leicester are going to win this game against Brentford. They're home. I think their starting level should be strong enough. Uh, I, I, personally, for for me, in terms of Brentford, I mean, sometimes it's not even just about signing like loads of players. It's about keeping the like the good players that you've got. So, you know, they've they've kept Tony in. I know it, it, the disrespect that he does towards the club is quite bad. I feel like the one that got away for them was Ericsson. I feel like he's somebody that you know I really wish signed for Brentford, considering you know they sort of signed him and he's really well on that loan deal. Um, but the one thing that's really annoying me about Brentford is that they they, they look beside uh, Mikel Damsgaard, that's somebody who I, who I really wanted Billard to sign. I mentioned him on the potty a few few times a few across the course of last season, and again another football manager signing for me he is. But for everyone listening, he was the guy that Euros. scored the free yeah he scored, scored the free kick against England in the Euros against them for Denmark. Fantastic. But no, honestly, he, well. he would be he would be the perfect signing for Villa at the moment. Um, or at any moment, to be honest. But it, again, like you know, it's 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 going to be sad that we don't get him. But I mean, the numbers that I quoted for him are you know absolute bargain. I think it was between like twelve and sixteen million. Whereas like after that Euros, the numbers were coming out at like 40, 50 million. I, I, I'm not sure if you can remember, but I'm sure it was about yeah. forty million people. It, it was that it was that post Euros bounce where they can just agents can hike up the prices because everyone saw what he did in the Euros. But the season afterwards as well. Unlike Harry Maguire, when his price went up, his price actually went quite a bit down. Sampdoria needed the money um, in the team. Yeah, I feel like he's... And I think somewhere I read that he's been injured quite a bit last season. Like, he's missed quite a lot of football. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, honestly, he's somebody that I I wish we went in for. You know, he can play anywhere in in that front, in that sort of attacking midfield positions in the wing. He can even play in midfield. But, you know, it's it's going to be... When he comes to Brentford, he's going to be another one of my, like, one-to-watch kind of players. Definitely. One to watch for me this season is Jaden Sancho for Manchester United. So I'm looking forward to Sunday's game at home to Brighton. Um, hopefully we'll be getting to a couple of games this season, which will be good for me. Not really good for my mental health or for my white hair that I keep growing from shouting and screaming at Manchester United. But um, you'll hear more of me talking about it with Tony later on from Talk Sports. That'd be great on part two. But uh, 
an overview from you, Salim, on Man United versus Brighton. Do you expect much from Man United this season? What are your thoughts on uh, Man United? The thing with Man United is, I know like I've been giving them loads of stick and hate, but um, I feel like the fans need to understand that, you know, it's going to take time. It's not going to be an overnight sort of project with Ten Hag. You know, he might get a bit lucky and he could accelerate the process a bit. But with the players you've got at the moment, it doesn't look like you've had the best of windows so far. I think the Frankie de Jong's chase hasn't sort of been the best. You know, it's sort of come out that he maybe doesn't really want to come United. And, you know, imagine signing somebody that doesn't really want to join you. It's embarrassing. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it's quite embarrassing. But, yeah, I feel like, you know, United haven't had... They haven't had the, like, the worst window in the world, but it could be a lot better. Um, but yeah, again, I think it's going to be difficult for, for United to sort of get top four. I personally don't see them getting the top four. But, you know, if I think the main thing for United is even if they don't get top four, even if they get a top eight or a top six, but a top eight and um, Ten Hag can really implement his style of football, I think that, that would be like the perfect situation. Maybe a cup run or something like that. You, you can remember when Klopp joined Liverpool. They, they weren't even better off from when like Brendan had him. Like I think they compared like Klopp's first sort of thirty games and Brendan's last thirty games, and the record was the same. But mm-hmm. it was implementing that style. You know, we saw it with Pep Guardiola's first season. He came third. He's only ever come first or second, and he's come third. And you know, everyone thought like you know the, the broken Pep or something. And I remember him losing to Leicester uh, quite heavily. And you know, he just turned around saying like you know I'll, I'll never change. I'll always stick to my like principles and play out from the back. So it was at home I against feel, Leicester as well, so like a four 0 defeat as well, which is crazy at the start. I think I think, I think Vardy got. But I just remember him making so many defensive errors, you know, from trying to play out from the back. But you know, it's just testament to these like great managers for you know sticking by their principles and not sort of just going completely away. I know it's important to adapt, but you know, completely changing was something that they neither did. So I feel like Ten Hag needs time. Um, even if like you get top 10 this season, but if you can implement a clear playing style and sort of um, get some decent turnover of the playing squad, I feel like that that would be a win for the first season. And then maybe the second season where you look to get, you know, into the top four, top six, and then third season, you want to try and cement that and, you know, try and put a title challenge together. So, yeah, I feel like, I feel like as long as they're bored and the fans, everyone commit to a, like a genuine project, you know, there's going to be days where, you know, you probably lose a few games and, you can't, you can't just turn. You need to keep backing the manager and the players. But yeah, for me, I, I don't see a top four happening, and I, I feel like the fans might not have the patience to stick it out. I, from my point of view, as everyone kind of knows, I'm one of the more patient Man United fans, despite what we've seen over the last two years of us doing this podcast as well. But realistically speaking, uh, if there's one manager in world football I can back, it's Eriksen Hag as a as a Man United manager. You couldn't really back Ragnit being a temporary manager. I didn't back Solskjaer. I was quietly just supporting him because of what he did for Man United. And it's one of those things where you want to watch attractive football. You want to watch fantastic football. Um, but again, if you do make the mistakes, if players do make mistakes along the way, that's acceptable because this is probably the last big process Man United will have to see if they can actually survive this this new money from Newcastle, this re-emergence from Tottenham, Arsenal coming up as well, and Chelsea obviously with their new owner as well because otherwise we could be so we could be sucked down to like top 10 positions or uh, mid-table finishes for the next couple of years. But realistically speaking, and I'll talk about this later with Tony as well when he comes on, mostly about how Eric Ten Hag implements, like Salem said, his style of play, his vision for the club, his vision for the team, how everyone gets on board with one way of playing, which is Eric Ten Hag's way of playing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing it because we've seen him do wonders at FC 20. We've seen him do wonders at Ajax. We're going to see him do well at Manchester United because... He's already changed so much already this summer that we're going to see 
just in terms of how some of the players are playing, hopefully with more attacking freedom and prowess as well. Like Salem said, if we don't get a trophy, but all of the players from the start of next season are 100% back in this way of playing, which is going to be great. I'm looking forward to it as well. We'll still need some more signings. Um, I still think we're lacking in this department in midfield. We're lacking in the department on attack and we're it's lacking in defence as well. We still have so much to kind of get rid of from the club as well. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Eric Ten Hag has to bring. Again, like I said before, you'll hear most of me talking about Man United with um, Tony later on from Talk Sport. But yeah, I think Man United are going to win first game at home in the season. If we get a trophy this season, it will be a bonus. If we get top four, I'm predicting us to get top four because I want my hope and my yeah. optimism to stay there for this season. I don't want to then just succumb to, oh, yeah, we're going to finish ninth, which I genuinely, objectively think we can finish ninth. But as a fan, I'm going to be backing us for top four, um, which will be good. And final game to review is West Ham United versus Manchester City, 4.30 on Sunday. West Ham, have, uh, apparently, they've gone for Maxwell Cornet today. So that'll be a good signer for them. Someone who can play as a right winger, not really as a left back, but I like seeing him as an attacking player, which will be quite good. Hopefully supporting Jared Bowen and attacking Mikel Antonio. But uh, what are your thoughts to this game, Sadek? West Ham versus Man City? Um, probably just be Man City, to be honest. Yeah, it'll be Man City even. Julian Alvarez, a new signing. Again, another player who I've been watching for a while and I thought would be really good. I even got a River Plate shirt because of Julian Alvarez and went to Man City. So everyone can see that on our foot goal session whenever that's uploaded uh, later this, this year as well, which would be good. Um, but yeah, I think they've got a decent squad. I think, like you said as well, Salem, that you wanted to mention before, losing Sterling and losing Jesus, two quality proven players in the Premier League, two players who can stretch defences. And I thought that was... Man City's initial problem against Liverpool in the Community Shield, they couldn't stretch defences enough with the attacking players that they have. Um, what, what else did you kind of want to say about uh, Man City losing Sterling? Because I think he's been one of the best wingers in the Premier League for the last five years, William Sterling. Yeah, defo. Like, now it's going to be interesting to see how Haaland does. Like, he dropped, like, you know, quite a bad performance that day. Hmm. But, you know, he could could get 30 goals. So it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how, how it goes for them. But I feel like they, get, they are going to miss the two players that have gone out um, and I don't know if they, I mean you could say they've replaced them already with you know Haaland and um, Alvarez, but again there was talk about Bernardo Silva signing a deal with Barcelona now. Yeah, it's going to be crazy to see how that goes because I really wanted to see a bit more from again more from Jack Relish this season, like I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So it'll be fun to see how he settles in. But um, do you reckon Man City literally have enough of them to actually go for a Champions League win this season because they've been faltering over the last couple of years? Um, in the Champions League, but Premier League, I think they are going to be the winners um, this season as well. Yeah, again, I'm I'm not I'm not too sure. Like I feel like you know it's it's the same story for them pretty much in that Champions League in terms of being un- unlucky. But I feel like maybe with Haaland they could go the distance now. Yeah, it'll be good to see him playing. It'll be good to see him. I said last week as well, having these deeper crosses from Walker, from Cancelo, from De Bruyne, from Bernardo Silva, not just the ones where they go to the byline, uh, cross the back for a tap in that will give them a whole new element having a six-foot-plus striker in the, in the box as well, towering over some of the defenders that they have uh, to face in the Premier League this season as well. And Craig Dawson at the back, Kurt Zuma at the back, they're going to have a tough time on the weekend uh, at the Olympic Stadium against Erling Haaland if he starts as well, which would be good. And uh, just to wrap up the podcast, Salim, um, I just wanted to say, first of all, it was good to see you this summer as well. What have you kind of got planned for the uh, season ahead for Inter Batley? Um, isn't that a good question? 
just just have a good season to be honest um they, they've changed the league now so there used to be like three divisions first mm-hmm. premier division one and division two and we were obviously in division two trying to get promotion to division one but now they've just made it as two divisions and i think there were 14 teams in our division now which is division one so yeah there's quite a lot of teams now um to know honestly it's, it's going to be good having you know like what 26 games or something potentially plus you know cup games and everything all the rest of it Definitely. but yeah no hopefully we could go on like another cup run maybe you know personally just keep playing games um, I feel like last season I was sort of unavailable a couple of games I did start most of my games I think I was on the bench for maybe two games but yeah I just can't even remember I think the season before was sort of um, better but I think last season it was just you know without training and stuff it, it just wasn't the same yeah I can imagine that as well and it's just something like that with me as well like with me coming up this season I'm looking to get into uh scouting for my for my local women's team as well which would be quite good as well I'll be still working at my grassroots club Unity FC in Stoke which will be really good to see that as well and hopefully I'll be doing more um volunteer media work as well wherever I am uh, over the season as well which will be quite fun so Big season ahead for both of us, Salim. Not just the Premier League teams we're supporting, but for you and I, it'll be quite big to see how it kind of goes as well. And yeah, just before we go on to the next part with Tony, just before we wrap up the podcast, we did do a little survey earlier with a couple of our friends from different podcasts as well. So uh, I'm just going to read that out for everyone listening as well. We've already posted it on our social medias as well. So uh, my prediction was Man City are going to be the winners. The top four will be City, Liverpool, Spurs and Man United, like I said. My top scorer this season will be Harry Kane. Best uh, signing was Raheem Sterling, in my opinion. And one to watch will be Jaden Sancho, like I mentioned earlier as well, which would be good. Yeah. And then Salem, you mentioned Man City is uh, Premier League winners. Your top four was City, Liverpool, Chelsea and Spurs. Top scorer is Erling Haaland. Uh, best signing was Bubakar Kamara, rightly so as well, free agent. And one to watch, I know you left it blank, but I know you mentioned that you wanted to see Diego Carlos, but do you have a specific one to watch that you wanted to look out for this season from anyone? I want to wait till the window ends for that one. Oh my god! I'll leave. I'll leave Diego. Carlos no, I'll, I'll put it as I'll put it for now. I don't. I don't want to risk it because I'd go Leon Bailey probably. Oh, so it will be a Villa player. It'll be. It'll be someone hmm. from Villa, which will be good. Yeah, I, I, I keep as Carlos. I'll keep as Carlos. No, nah, that'll be really good. Um, but yeah, Salem. Thanks for this part of the podcast. It was great seeing you again, everyone. Thank you very much for listening up until now. If you want to listen to the part two of our podcast which is coming up now with um, Tony from TalkSport it just keeps getting better and better so today I'm joined by TalkSport host it's really good to actually have someone who I can talk to who is also a Man United fan who also feels my pain of being a Man United fan so I'd just like to introduce everyone to our uh, brand new guest today Aluwatoni Afoke so is it cool if I call you Aluwatoni did I pronounce that right everyone just knows me as Tony that's fine. I, I I like the long names as well. It's like I've I've so many like Nigerian friends, and I always try and pronounce it by their long name because I'm like I know that's what your that's what your parents gave you as the name. So I need to need to try my best. But like no, just call me Toby or just call me Tony, which is absolutely fine as well, or Femi, which is perfectly fine. So it's all of these ones which I'm like okay, cool, whatever's easiest. But um, thank you for joining us uh, today on the podcast, Tony. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Brilliant. And just to let our listeners know a bit more about yourself, I know I just introduced you as a TalkSport host and I know you can do a better intro than me. So if you want to just tell our listeners um, who you are and um, kind of who you're representing in a way. Yeah, um, my name's Tony. Uh, I work for TalkSport, been working there for two years now, kind of do um, some forecasts and stuff, some producing as well at TalkSport. And uh, yeah, I have, I have my own podcast as well. We talk about football, women's football, 
uh, basketball and the NFL. So yeah, that's that's just a little bit about me. Brilliant. No, I'm loving it, and it's it's so cool that I got to find out about you not just through talk sport, uh, talk sport, but from your other podcast as well about talking about women's football because this is something that we've been doing for like the last year, talking about women's football and men's football on the same podcast because we believe it's not just a right to talk about women's football and men's football, but we have to help in any way we can to uh, bring this message better that uh, women's football, not just because we won the women's Euros last week, because they deserve to have their time in the sun as well, just as much as the men. So I'm looking forward to hearing more from your podcast this upcoming season. Mind you, I don't really get the American football content bit, so I kind of skipped through that when I was listening to it today um, on the episode. So forgive me for that. Um, but yeah, just before recording, we did find out about that. We both support Manchester United, so this is going to be our Manchester United preview for the season ahead. So, Tony, first impressions on Lisandro Martinez, Christian Eriksen, and Tyrone Melassia as our only signings uh, at this moment in time. Do you think we have strengthened enough, given the calibre of players we've let leave on free transfers and the rumours of a couple of loan spells going out? Even Alex Tellez has been rumoured to um, leave today on loan to Sevilla, I believe. Uh, what are your first thoughts? Um, in regards to this window so far, I don't think we've strengthened enough. Uh, mm-hmm. We've strengthened certain areas, which is okay. We now have a left-sided centre-back, which is okay. I feel like if you, for May United fans, our needs, we've fitted some of our needs, but everything we've done, like we haven't done it priority-wise. I feel like we've needed a DM for the past five years. We still haven't got that DM just yet. Exactly. Um, we needed a centre-back, we needed a right-back. We needed two new full-backs, we needed someone across the front line, we need a right-winger. There's so many things that we need. Um, we've strengthened so far. I like our signings. I was quite reluctant on Christian Eriksen. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I was. I said it on my podcast. I was quite reluctant on Christian Eriksen because it just reminded me of a typical Man United signing of signing a player over 30 in which, fair enough, it's squad depth. But what's the point of working on squad depth when you don't even know you're starting 11? So that was Ooh. my... That was my engagement with Christian Eriksen. But I've seen he is he does approve my midfield, so I'm not going to complain. It's a free transfer. It's not my money, so it is what it is. But um, I'm happy with Valencia. I think that's a good signing. Competition for sure as well. And if Shaw's injured, we've got a competent left-back. I like what I've seen so far in pre-season with Valencia. And Lissandro Martinez, we'll see how um, he links up with Harry Maguire. I'm guessing that's going to be our new centre-back partnership, at least with the football that Ten Hag wants to play. And it's a player he knows very well. We know what we're going to get out of Alessandro Martinez. Like I watched him um, a couple of highlights of him against Rayo Vallecano. He was very um, composed on the ball, so just a good start. But going into the season, we still need uh, we still need a DM desperately. We still need a striker, regardless of what happens with Ronaldo. I still think like we need a right winger. I still like, we need a right back as well and a backup keeper. So we've still got three, four signings we need to do, and the window finishes at the end of the month. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't expect a deadline day of 2014 where we're getting like Di Maria, Falcao, Daily Blind all in at the same time. But you expect a bit more urgency from the board and from um, literally the people looking at these signings because Man United, as we all know, are rumoured every single day with a brand new player throughout the whole summer. And it's crazy to see um, how it is. Me personally, I'm really excited about the signings that we have. I'm really excited about Christian Eriksen. Given what we've seen from him over the past six, seven years, um, at the top level that he has played, which is great to see. And the fact that he has come back um, into professional football after his horrific incident um, in the European Championships. But like you said as well, a lot of people are forgetting that Diogo Dallo wouldn't get into the rest of the top six as a right-back because I- ideally he's not good enough for Man United as a first-choice right-back. So even the likes of uh, 
who was the one that went to PSG? Uh, Mukulele? I thought he was a really good yeah. shout to actually get. Yeah, he would have been a really good player. Denzel Dumfries has been linked with Manchester United, which I really believed he would have been a really good signing to improve what we have at right back. Aaron Wan-Bissaka isn't suitable for Manchester United. He hasn't really played much under Ten Hag, and it's been quite worrying to see um, why we kind of spent that fifty million in the first place with him as well. And obviously, going on to the attacking situation as well, just like you said about the right winger, there's an injury to Sancho, Rashford, or Martial. We don't have the strength and depth. We're not going to rely on Ahmad. We're not going to rely on Pilistri. We're not going to rely on Garnacho or even Chong um, to come in and replace straight away as well. Ilanga probably needs a lot more game time than what he got last season as well to actually develop into a better player. But it is quite worrying to see how Man United are currently looking squad-wise and depth-wise as well. But the only positive hope for me is Eric Ten Hag because of what I've seen him do, not working miracles, but working wonders at the likes of FC Twente and Ajax as well. So it's really good to see that we've got a competent manager at the moment in time in terms of how he's been developing the players so far. So I just wanted to ask you, um, Tony, what have you been impressed so far with um, Eric Ten Hag so far in his tenure at Manchester United? Um, I know it's early days and it's pre-season, but I love the way we set up. Mm. And so in the first, for like the Liverpool game, the Villa game, because the Palace game, when they're like, let's say the better team in the first half, we, in possession, we played like a 2-3-5, which is what I've been screaming for. Mm-hmm. So that's what teams that want to dominate, that's how they set up. So obviously you play from the back, you have your two, you have your threes and your full backs and then Fred was playing that role, which I call the Frankie de Jong role. It's clearly that's the role he wants Frankie de Jong to play. Yep. So the way we set up like that, I really feel that's going to help Man United because even though we had our worst season last season, these players are not bad, right? They're not that bad. I don't think we're going to have the same season we had last season. It's just tactically they were horrible. I, I think of games like Brighton away and where we struggled to play teams against like Brighton, Crystal Palace, Southampton teams with competent managers that could see Man United's tactical flaws. Wolves at home screams to mind as well for me as well. Teams with t- teams with competent managers that could see the tactical flaws of United. So that was the issue I had last season that tactically we weren't astute at all, especially with Solskjaer and then obviously with Ranjit because they didn't, just didn't want to listen to his tactics, which granted I understand. But now with Ten Hard, they can see. I feel like all the players have even come out in preseasons. Like we know exactly what we want from the manager. We know exactly what to do. So now we know how we're going to play. I feel like for the first time, especially working in the media as well, I'm constantly surrounded by people who don't watch Man United ninety minutes like us fans do. Yeah. And like I will, so they'll just make lazy assumptions, and I'm thinking, okay, this is isn't it? But I get what you mean. So like for instance, oh, we don't know how Man United play. Like I'm, I don't think I'm, we're going to hear that this season. I feel like Ten Hag is going to really come with an identity. And that's a start, and that's how you build a team. So I've been impressed so far. I like the way we played We played a bit of football. Obviously, it's pre-season, so we need to see how it translates. But I really feel like this season, if we get the right players in, we're not going to lose to your Graham Potters, your Ralph Hasselhootles, because at the end of the day, we have better players than them, and now we're actually tactically astute. So I really feel like for the first time ever, I can, like Brighton at home, if this was last season, I would not be confident because we barely beat Brighton at home last season. I remember it was that Ronaldo um, goal where he just hit it. From, yeah. And then Bruno got that con- um, that last minute. Counter-attack. And then um, they had a red card straight after the Ronaldo goal as well. I was at that game and I was kind of just there. Like, I was looking at like, Bissouma dominating our midfield. I was looking at Leandro Trossard getting past Diogo Dallo constantly and getting between Lindelof and... Not Lindelof. I think it was like Maguire and uh, Dallo quite a lot as well in that game as well. And it's crazy to see how 
players of that ilk, like no disrespect to Brighton, but they were dominating us at Old Trafford, which was yeah. worrying to see. And how many times have we seen that last season where teams teams like that can dominate us at Old Trafford? So I like the way he wants to set up. He wants to dominate games, this whole total football. I really, I, I like it. I don't think it. Just with the way he wants to do it, I think we need Frankie desperately. Like, I know the whole situation and what's going on. But as much as I like Fred, I feel like last season, Fred's Fred's best position isn't a six. It definitely isn't a six. It, it definitely isn't a six. But unfortunately, because we have no sixes, it's not going to be McTominay playing that role because he shies away from the ball and he can't string passes. But there's someone who can actually do it to an extent is Fred. Fred didn't yeah. look bad in preseason, but that's not his best role. We saw under Rangnick when Fred kind of played higher up the pitch, he was kind of better. So if he can, if we get a six, whether it's Frankie that Ten Hag is screaming for, and if not, we don't get Frankie, we get someone like maybe a Ruben Neves who can somehow play that role. I know he 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 played in the double pivot under Wolves, but I'm thinking of when he was at Porto. In a single pivot, so he has done it. And sometimes for Portugal as well, sometimes they start him as a number six instead of Carvalho or Danilo as well. Exactly. So I would have, I, I wouldn't mind Ruben Neves as a replacement if we don't get Frankie. I feel like Frankie's perfect for the role and he knows that himself. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it if we get the right signings. Yes. Maybe we don't need Frankie to beat Brighton. I feel like we should be able to beat Brighton. But after after Brentford away, we've got Liverpool at home, and mm-hmm. we need. I'm not saying we're going to beat Liverpool, but we need to at least fight at home against Liverpool, considering they battered us 5-0 at Old Trafford last season. So we really need to we need to see a massive difference in the way in which Ten Hag sets up against this Liverpool side. And I seriously don't think, even the way we're setting up now, I seriously feel like we need a couple more signings before that Liverpool game. I might be going to that game as well, the Liverpool ones. I'm not looking forward to getting battered 6-0 at home as well. I don't want it to be the case where you're getting like Van Dyke just kicking the ball away at 20 minutes when you've just been battered 4-0 in 20 minutes. It can't be happening again. Oh, man. Um, but no, just to go back on that Ruben Neves thing, that's something that's the player that I've been looking out for for the last two years uh, for Man United because Fred has a six, as we've said. He's not pre- he's, he can't resist the press. He really can't resist the press from a lot of these teams. He would get beat quite easy against the likes of Leicester, against the likes of Brighton when they are surrounding him because they know that's the trigger point for Man United. When Fred, Fred gets the ball on the half turn, everyone knows to go at him, two players, three players, because they know he can lose the ball. He's not strong enough to beat some of the players as well. And I wanted to know your thoughts. Would you consider Yuri Tillemans as a replacement instead of Frankie de Jong? Would you go for someone like Yuri Tillemans as a number six? Um, I love Yuri Tillemans, you know, football manager legend. Exactly, but, and the let guy. Do you know what I mean? And mm. these are what it, like him and Ruben Evans are examples of me playing football manager when they go when they signed for Wolves or signed for Leicester. I was thinking this is what Man United should have been all over. Exactly. They signed for forty million. We we could have done that easily. I wouldn't mind you Tillemans at United, but I would have not at that six role. I don't think that six role is for him. I feel like if we didn't sign Ericsson and we needed someone for like squad depth, then Yuri Tillemans would have been the perfect scenario. Yeah. But I. I wouldn't mind Yuri Tillemans, but not in that sixth role. I really feel like that sixth role, especially in the way we've set up and what I've seen so far, it's so key. Like Fred, we were seeing a lot of Fred during preseason, right? Yeah. And we were seeing a lot of that. And especially if who those two eights are, whether it's Bruno and Van der Beek or it's Bruno and Ericsson, we really need a competent six that can soak up the pressure, wants to pick, really wants to pick up the ball from the centre backs, which Frankie has come out and said that's his best position. Because I was really reluctant on. Frankie playing as a single pivot, but I feel like the way 
Ten Hag wants to play, we need his best. We need their best attributes to fit that role. And I feel like Ruben Neves can do it, but Frankie, I don't think Tielemans is the guy to do that role. I think he's a really good player, and I'd happily have him in Man United, but just not for that role in particular. Yeah, exactly. Because with Tillemans as well, it'd be like another number eight that we would have. So it'd be like a Van der Beek, Eriksen, um, Tillemans kind of position, all fighting for the same position. And Bruno would have to compete with Eriksen if Eriksen did want to play as a number 10 as well um, going forward this season as well, which would be not that integral. But I know that Ten Hag likes building from the back quite a lot as well. We have seen that in the Champions League. We have seen that in preseason as well. Just like you mentioned earlier about Fred being that pivotal role. It's somewhere, it's somewhere where like, if Ten Hag was manager when Michael Carrick was still a Man United player, he would thrive off it. He would be amazing at it. That's why he's been going hammer and tongs to get this Frankie Dion deal over the line as well. And there are rumours that obviously he wants to go to Chelsea or he just, just doesn't want to leave Barcelona at all. But obviously with Barcelona not being able to register some of their players for La Liga, there's it's, it's, a, big, it's a big saga going on this summer as well. And I personally don't see it happen. I personally don't see us going for Frankie Dion because I think there'll be too much um, it would just be too much too late I think as well I'd love him to be at Man United seeing him play for Barcelona against Inter Milan and he's just fantastic to watch he's a joy of a player to watch and I'm one of those guys that appreciates holding midfielders centre midfielders what they do to compose the team because as you and I would know having skulls and carrot for a, a midfield partnership for a good six seven years that they were composed a lot of our team and won us a lot of trophies in that time as well same with Keane and skulls as well which is great to see and having Fred and McTominay is a complete polar opposite it's like two headless chickens in the middle of the field just running after things and being bamboozled all the time as well which is something that we've hated seeing as well just like we mentioned about that Liverpool game at home embarrassing stuff um, to see as well um, but yeah let's move on to the attack I want to talk to you more about the whole Cristiano Ronaldo situation as well we've spoken about if he wants to stay or if he wants to leave but I'd rather know a bit more about who you would look for to replace as a backup winger or as a backup striker because there are talks of um, RB Salzburg striker um, Benjamin Sesko coming in for around 30 40 million, which would be a decent deal. We've seen a, a few bits of him in preseason, saw a bit of him last season as well, but I'm not going to pretend like I know all about him. But who would you kind of want to go for if you had to replenish that attack um, for yourself, Tony? Uh, striker wise, if we have to go get a backup striker, I would go for Benjamin Sesko only mm. because by the football manager legends, you know, when you're deep down in the seasons and you're thinking who the world class strikers, Benjamin Sesko is one of them. Mm-hmm. And I saw that pre I saw a couple of highlights of him at preseason. He looks quite technical for a player. And um for a tall player, mind you, as well. Great to see. He kind of gives me, you know, the new striker builds of like Victor Oshiman, Haaland, Sesko, that type of Vlahovic as well. Got a Vlahovic vibe from him. Yeah, exactly. So I, I wouldn't mind him at all. He's young. Um I feel like this deal would have been easier for Randy if they're still at the club. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it is what it is. I feel like they want to sell him next season. They're not ready to sell because Salzburg are a selling team, right? All the Salzburg, Leipzig's and Red Bulls, they're a selling team and they'll make they'll make their money off him. But I don't think they're willing to sell this season. Whether we just cough up the peas and we need to do it, then fair enough, backup striker-wise. Uh, if we get a backup winger, in a sense, then I would actually go for Pedro Neto from Wolves. Oh, man. Oh, I love... That, that's an odd, odd, odd sound I just made, but I love Pedro Neto. I think he's great. I know he's had that, that bad injury last season. Yeah. But what a joy of a player to watch as well. So tricky, so silky, so technical for a winger as well. Fantastic player to watch. Literally. And I know people don't, I don't like using this term, but Premier League proven. Mm. Do you know what I mean? 40, 40, 50 M's, Wolves are not, are not going to say no, right? Mm. So 
let's let's just slap that for him. We know what we're getting, and he and he. That, it reminds me that if Man United make that type of signing, it's that type of Diogo Jota signing mm. that Liverpool made. Do you know when it was just like, oh, like Diogo Jota is a good player, but he's going to elevate his game playing against better playing playing around better players and playing in a better team. I feel like and that, playing with an attacking coach as well, a progressive coach under Eric Ten Hag. I feel like that could be because Neto can. He doesn't have to start all the time. He probably won't start all the time, but he can happily make cameos off the bench all the time. And he's young, he's gifted, left-footed. Like that could be an easy signing. I don't know why we haven't been linked with him at all. But um, and with the five subs as well that we got in the Premier League this season as well, no-brainer. Exactly, I would happily. So if it if it was down to me, it would be Sesco Neto. <laughs> it would be one of the two, or if you, if not, get both. How to see how desperate we are? But we we need to get either one of those two, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Because I was looking at a few players that um, realistically Man United should be signing, but unfortunately they don't listen to our podcast, otherwise they would have got them long ago. And I feel like Manchester City listen to our podcast will actually just play football manager and they get all the players that we're watching because I was a big fan of Julian Alvarez, but obviously he's gone to Manchester City. Well, debut go as well against Liverpool and Community Shield as well, which is great to see. But Pedro Neto is someone that in two, three years in the Premier League as well. Fantastic to really watch and fantastic to really appreciate when you're kind of watching this kind of player as well because he's not just your average speedy winger, cut inside, score a goal. He can play either side of the wing, so he can play on the right, can play on the left. He's got a really good weak foot as well to actually really watch and really appreciate at the same time. He does come up clutch a few times for Wolverhampton Wanderers with their defensive style of play, with their 3-5-2 going forward as well. Um, realistically speaking, I thought, Again, going to, I don't want to be that guy to go to the RB clubs again, but I thought, um, I, I'm going to butcher his name, but, you know, Sloboslai. Uh, Sloboslai. Sloboslai, um, yeah. Sloboslai, yeah. I thought he would have been a decent signing for us as well. Um, going forward, I thought it would have been really good to get him after the Euros last summer, but he was injured, I think. So I thought it would have been a really good sign to get him this season to actually go in for someone who, again, has a, he was really good at Salzburg. Very good until he got his injury at Leipzig, but one step further, let's bring him up. Let's take him one step further into the Premier League and let's take him on as, as a really good winger going forward as well. But I'd agree, Pedro Neto would be a really good signing. I thought Leandro Trossard would be a decent backup player, someone who could play in the Europa League. Uh, he's proven quite a bit for Brighton as well, especially with their XG. That always, they're always against it with their XG, but I think it's a really good player to actually go and challenge a lot of these, these teams as well going forward. And Benjamin Sesko, we'll wait and see if that happens. I think Kaladzic from Stuttgart is being linked with us as well. But my backup striker I would like to see would be Patrick Schick. I've said it a few times this summer as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of Patrick Schick, mostly because um, when I'm playing FIFA with my cousin and he needs an easier team to beat, I'll be buying Leverkusen. and I'll just batter him with Moussa Diaby and Patrick yeah. Schick just attacking. And we'll do all of those like headers and volleys type things as well on Xbox. So I'll be like, yeah, I'll beat you anyway. And Patrick Schick is just for me, is the joy to watch. Is someone that had a bad injury. We're talking about loads of injury-prone players here, Tony. Yeah. That's, that's how I've had a lot of time to appreciate some of these players. When they're out injured, we appreciate them a bit more. But yeah, Patrick Schick has a backup striker to Ronaldo and Martial, even probably starting a bit more as well. I think he'd be great. He'd be someone that we'd, we'd love to see in the Europa League as well. Someone who would do really good in the cup, campaign, cup campaigns. And if Ronaldo does leave next season, if he doesn't already leave this summer, he's someone that I believe we could build a, a team around an attacking striker that we can build around and he does link up really well with um Musa Diaby as well and uh Karim yeah Bellarabi as well at Bruce uh Bayern Leverkusen but they have just signed uh Adam Hoslek 
from Sparta Prague. That's why I'm like, we could go in for him because they've already got a ready-made replacement. Why not throw a cheeky 45 million bid in for um, Patrick Schick in the Bundesliga? Mm, that's a good thing. Only thing I feel like, because he's been week in, week out in the Bundesliga, obviously plays for um, Czech Republic as well. Czech, yeah, Czech Republic. Yeah. Would he come in as a backup at Man United? That, that that's what I like. That's what I like because when we sign backup players, Man United over the last couple of years, we sign them as backup players. So yes. the first team players know Pellistri's not going to take out Rashford in the team. Diallo's not going to take out um anyone else in the team as well. Uh, they're not really coming into challenge. If you get Patrick Schick and he comes into challenge, that's a really good yeah, signing for me. And that's what that's what I love about Guardiola and Klopp and to an extent Thomas Tuchel as well. He buys players that will come into the first team and challenge and try and disrupt that order as well. Didn't really work for Lukaku last season, but I think it will really work with Kuli Bali and um, Sterling this season as well. And I think Patrick Schick would be one of the answers we would go for. Um, if we, if I was in charge or if I had the choice of going for a striker, Patrick Schick would be the guy for me. No, that's, no I, know, I know what you mean. I feel like, especially with the five subs this season, the squad depth is massive. Hmm. Right now, we we kind of with all the players that left on a free, we kind of lack in squad depth at the moment. We've only signed three players and we got rid of how many? And we're still trying to get rid of how many before the season ends. So I feel like we will see some more signings. It just it's just a matter of who and when. But we've got yeah. into the end of the month. Definitely. And uh, just before we wrap up on this uh, little chat about transfers, if you could name me your starting eleven for the Brighton game coming up this weekend, what would it be? Oh, um, the Heron goal. Mm. I don't know where Luke Shaw is. I think is is he injured because he didn't play against Vallecano. He didn't play against. He didn't play against. Did he play on the weekend against um? Atletico. No. no. Oh, Lassie in it did. So I'll play. Yeah. I'll put Lassie left back. Uh, if it was down to me, I wouldn't play Harry Maguire. I would play centre back. So it'll be Varane and uh, Lissandro Martinez. Fantastic. Dallo, Dallo, right back. Um. Since we have no sixes, it's going to have to be Fred in that role. He's the only one I've seen. Would you throw in Garner after his performance against Rayo? Jimmy Garner in there, but I'm not sure if Jimmy Garner's a natural six. And I feel like he can play there. And I feel like because he's a competent footballer, he can play there. But I feel like he might be better in the eight role. I remember I watched a bit of him in Nottingham Forest. And obviously, Nottingham Forest played three at the back. So he played in like a centre mid pivot where he was like box to box, right? Um, I don't know. And the Valencano game, he didn't really take the take the. Um, did he dictate? Did he? Yeah, he didn't. So, so, and only because it's Brighton, I w- I would like Jimmy Garner, and obviously I feel like Jimmy Garner could be a better player than Fred. But right now, just because I'm going against a Premier League team, I'm just going to go with Fred mm. for the time being. It's not going to be for the rest of the season. This is just if you look at all our first games of the season, the the, the first team is never the same. As it is come the end of August, come the next month, right? So exactly. So I'll just pick Fred for this one. Um, yes, my two eights would probably have to be Bruno and I want to say Ericsson. Say Ericsson. I'd start Ericsson. Yeah, I'll start Ericsson. Why not? We can bring Van der Beek off the bench. Mm. Um, on the left, it'll be Rashford. On the right, it would be Sancho, and up front would be Anthony Martial. I feel like that would be our best lineup so far. I still feel like we need to improve in that lineup because I don't think that lineup gets top four right now. No. 
as as a fan, I'm backing it. I'm just like that's that's the fan in me. I'm like, oh yeah, we can we can finish fourth. You never know what can happen over a season, especially with the World Cup coming up. But objectively speaking, I think fifth or sixth is where we're going to come. But um, we can't let we can't let the haters deter from our optimism this season. Whatever optimism we have left for this yeah. season as well, after the last 10, 12 years of uh, pain that we've suffered as as Man United fans. But no, I think I'd probably agree exactly the same starting lineup as you would have as well. It'd be good to see. Ericsson and, and Bruno Fernandez, Bruno Fernandez link up as well. Again, with the five subs that we have as well, the opportunity of having more people on the bench. Garnacho has the opportunity to impress as well. Um, even the likes of even Laird, if he doesn't go on loan, I'd like to see him as the second choice right back that we have at the club um, going forward as well. Well, this I want to ask you about even Laird because I do like even Laird, but and he had a good loan last season with Swansea, but then kind of fell off with Bournemouth, right? Hmm. Linked with Watford, I've seen for a loan. If we do get a right back. Would you rather Ethan Laird go on loan to play week in, week out in a team, in a championship team that's going to go for the Premier League, right? Because I don't, at first, I didn't want Ethan Laird to go on loan. I wanted him to battle it out with Dallow. But I feel mm. like if we right back, I would rather Laird go on loan so he plays week in, week out. Because we haven't really seen Ethan Laird play week in, week out for a season. No, I, I would happily see Ethan Laird go on loan if it means that he's getting the game time. Even if he was to go to let's say, for example, Bournemouth and they needed another right-back. I know they've got Ryan Fredericks on a free, but if they were to go to another um, lower league, Premier League team or to someone at a higher championship, like you said, challenging for promotion, the West Brom maybe um, going forward, a Huddersfield even, which would be quite good to see. I would love that if we were to get someone like Denzel Dumfries in, uh, an explosive right-back that can actually challenge and push Diogo Dallo. Aaron Rambasaka probably looking to leave on a loan-to-buy type move as well. As I'd really be happy to see that. That'd be a dream situation because we're improving in our situation. We're getting one of our younger players actually going up, getting the game time he deserves, not needs, but he actually deserves it because I think he's a top talent in our um, recent years that we've had academy products coming through the team as well. I remember him playing against that, um, you know, that game when we had that Europa, uh, Europa League game when he just played all the kids and then he was playing there and Lingard was captain away. I remember him playing in there. I was like, this guy's got a, a bright future ahead if he sticks down, gets his head, um, head over the ball quite a bit and runs with it. And has been doing that since then as well, which is great to see. And it's really positive as a right-back. And as we know, when you're sitting right-backs as Rhys James coming through, Trent Alexander-Arnold coming through from your academy, and they are being developed properly by their managers who play attacking and aggressive football, Ethan Legg can be the next one from England coming through. He doesn't have to change allegiances to play for another country. He could be challenging these guys in two, three years' time for a spot in England's life. You never know. No, I totally agree, man. I totally agree. I just hope. It depends. If we don't... We don't sign a right back. Let's just get him and Dallow fighting mm. for a right back spot, and we'll see. But if not, let's just make sure he gets some game time. Cause I feel like he needs it. Oh, uh, with, with the games that we've got coming up as well, once every I think it's two games a week now because of the World Cup in November. So we are playing earlier Carabao Cup. We are playing earlier Europa League games as well. So we will need that rotation in our squad as well. And injuries can always happen with Man United. We know we have bad luck with injuries every season, so that's not something I'm looking forward to going forward as well. Um, but yeah, that kind of rounds up our chat about Manchester United. So thank you very much for that, Tony. Do appreciate your time on there as well. And I just wanted to know, just before we wrap up the podcast as well, just your thoughts on the season in general. Who do you think is going to win? Who's going to be the top scorer? Who's going to go down? And who's one, one or two players? I know from you being a football manager, man, who's two or three players that you think we should watch out for? So you can start with any of those questions that, that I gave you all in one. Cool. Um, I think... I don't want City to win it again. Mm. I don't want Liverpool to win. 
but it's going to be one of them two. So because if City win, that's going to be three in a row, right? And that's and that breaks Man United's. Well, we've got we've done we've repeated twice. Yeah. So we're at the end of the world if they repeat once, but I still don't want City to repeat. So definitely not Spurs winning the league though under Conte. I don't see Spurs. I feel like Spurs will improve. I definitely like will improve. Will improve, but I don't think they can. I have a lot of people coming to me saying that Spurs are gonna be up there with like Liverpool and City, but I don't. I don't think so. I feel like Liverpool and City guarantee you practically eighty-five plus points a season, right? Because they're no, cut above the rest. I think exactly. And although Spurs have improved and they're in the Champions League, they're not gonna be going week in week out battering teams like Liverpool and City just yet. I feel like they will beat teams and they will be up there, definitely in the top four. But I don't think they'll be battering out teams. So um, even though I don't want this to happen, I'll just say City because I'd rather City win the league than Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, my top four right now will be City. I feel like the guarantees are City, Liverpool, want to say Spurs right now. And Arsenal? No, I don't think Arsenal are going to make top four. Ooh, no top four for Arsenal. Do tell, do tell. Mikel Arteta has um, found his ceiling. And I feel like, um, I've been saying this to a lot of my Arsenal friends where don't make the same mistake that Man United and Chelsea done in a sense that we try to go with this ex-player that doesn't have any um, experience at all and then try to give him so much money. Because Arsenal has spent the most. Yeah, they have. Again, in a window. And you're losing Lacazette and Aubameyang in the, in the same kind of season as well. Aubameyang, obviously, in January, Lacazette in the summer. That's a big experience for both of them to just be replaced by Gabriel Jesus and Eddie and Ketia. Because I said they, they needed another experienced striker in that in that team to actually help them with a 15, at least 15, 20 goals in a season for them personally. Exactly. And if, God forbid, if Gabriel Jesus gets injured, then do you know what I mean? It's, it's not mm. I don't think they make top four. I, and that's not down to the players. I think they've made some good signings. I feel like they've got their needs. But I still feel like they're a couple signings away. And also, I feel like Mikel Arteta, that's his ceiling. I don't think he's that good of a manager. I feel like he's getting a bit of a leeway because the Arsenal, the board trust him. And two, that FA Cup he won in his first, like, coming in season. I feel like that's kind of papered over the cracks. Because really interesting. Yeah. In the top four. That, that, was, that was one of those where you saw that. Um, how do I tell my kids that Arsenal won this game, but Chelsea also won this game by getting rid of Frank Lampard as well, the season yeah. afterwards as well. Crazy yeah. to see. And they need to do... Listen, it was hard for us to get rid of Solskjaer, but we've done it in the end. It was hard for Chelsea to get rid of Lampard, but they've done it in the end. And they look and they both and now we're both trying to progress with really good proven European managers because Arteta's not gonna challenge Klopp. He's not gonna he can't chat to Klopp, he can't chat to Pep. I don't even think like why is he can chat to Tuchel or Ten Hag. Obviously Ten Hag hasn't done anything in the Premier League just yet, but given their careers, I don't think he can chat to them. So I really feel like Arteta's going to find his ceiling. And the issue with Arsenal is, is that once they find his ceiling and they eventually get rid of because we all know Arteta's the man for the man. He's not the man, right? Mm. Once they do that, a new manager's going to come in and they're going to have to do another rebuild now, again. So it's... Because we had to do it. Man United are going through a rebuild when we just went through one with Solskjaer. Chelsea are going through another rebuild now when they just went through one with um, Lampard not long ago. But it's 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 that's what happens when you get when you when we decided to get these unexperienced managers, let the, give them money and see what happens, just to make the fans feel good, and then realize that's not the way to do it. So let's get a proven manager in Europe, and and give him his time. But he he wants to get his own players. He wants to do his things his way. I don't think Arteta's the man for a job. It's really it's going to be really interesting watching that uh, documentary 
Uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. My parents are Arsenal fans, so I'll be like, when that happens, I'll go around to their house and watch it together. It'll yeah, be good fun to watch it together. I'm, I'm so looking forward to it, to just to see the ins and outs of um, Arsenal. But um, yeah, back to the topic. Who, uh, who next one was top four? So we've said that, and then so you would you say City, Liverpool, um, Spurs, and then who's going to be your four? If Man United make three, four signings, and Man United, yes, yeah. just, just to be just to be optimistic, just be a fan. We got to be optimistic. If we're not optimistic about a season where we haven't even started a game, we're not exactly great fans at that at that point in time as well. So even if we're looking back at this in May, we finished sixth. We're like we gave it our best at the time in August. Exactly. It's all good. And that's, and, that's, and that's the whole point of being a fan. Mm. But um, yeah, who else? Uh, 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 top scorer. Who's going to be a top scorer? I've gone for Har- I've gone for Harry Kane. I don't think Harlan and Nunes will outscore Harry Kane this season. I think Harlan will score goals. Mm-hmm. I don't think Nunes. I've got a bet with someone at work that Nunes won't score more than uh, twenty Premier League goals. I, I think he'll score twenty goals, but not Premier League goals. It'll yeah, be like right. League Cup. Yeah, it'll be one yeah, of those where he'll be playing these other games. Yeah. Absolutely, because I'm looking forward to seeing how Harlan does in the Premier League. I'm looking forward to seeing how Nunes does in the Premier League. But I. I made an unpopular opinion um, this week and I think a few people agreed with me. I think it was, it was quite annoying how Pep Guardiola got rid of uh, Gabriel Jesus Sterling in the same window as well because you're, lo- you're lacking a lot of pace and you're lacking a lot of um, spatial, uh, creating space basically that Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus did as well. And I was kind of there like, Mares is probably the only player in that Man City team that does that now. Cole Palmer, Foden, Alvarez, they don't do it. They don't stretch the play. Um, from what I've seen of them over the last couple of years. Alvarez, I've just only seen from like highlights and the one game and Argentina, to be fair. But I think that was a big mistake from uh, from Man City to let Raheem Sterling go in the same window because I think he would have helped Haaland grow even better because he worked really well with the likes of um, Jadon Sancho back at Borussia Dortmund as well. And then that was a really good combination they had um, at Borussia Dortmund. So that's kind of why I'm, I'm like, Haaland will score goals, but I think it would have been so much better if Raheem Sterling stayed at uh, Man City, personally. No, bro, I agree 100%. I have this. I don't think right now City have... City have a really good front three, mm. regardless, but the pace and the and the pace and the space, you're right. Only Hamarez does that now. And even Aguero came out and said he was shocked that they got rid of Sterling. And he said that getting rid of Sterling was a mistake. So, yeah, I, no, I totally agree. I feel like Sterling would have helped um, Harlan's situation. But, yeah, top goal scorer, I really feel like it would be um, Mo Salah. Yeah, just because it's Mo Salah. I don't think Harry Kane's gonna get that many goals. Like, I, he'll Ooh. Be no, no, I don't want to say he's not gonna get that many goals because he'll be mm. up there. I feel like now Spurs have got more to their attacking thing. He's gonna drop deep and do the assist thing that he likes to do with like Son, Kulusevski, Charlison as well. He's That's true. That kind of so I don't think he's gonna be. I still think he's gonna get his goals, and I still expect him to score at least. He's gonna he's gonna stat pad on penalties as well. I think it's gonna be one of those when you got Richarlison going in the box, Son going in the box, Kulusevski going in the box. Penalty, yep, give it to Harry Kane, guaranteed goal right there. He's not gonna be an assist by Harry Kane. There's even gonna be a penalty for Harry Kane. So I definitely I definitely see he's gonna be up there. Yeah. Players to watch out. So we got we got what yeah one to watch and then best signing. So whichever way you want to go first. So who's your best signing of the summer? This is a good one, actually. So I've said I've said along the lines about Sven Botman going to Newcastle. I thought that was a great signing. Sven Botman. 
Bubakar Kamara on the free to Aston Villa was a great time for me personally. Yeah, I thought he'd have been a great number six for Man United from I January. I should have done, even if he wasn't that number six at Ten Hag wanted squad depth. Free mm-hmm. That's the free transfer I would have gone for rather than Ericsson. No disrespect to Ericsson, I'd still be like, I'm going to enjoy it because I'm a fan. But mm. if we think of free transfers, I'd rather have gone for the young one that has a lot to prove. But anyway, enough about. Um, I really feel like signing. Do you know, do you know who's going to be a good signing? Perisic. Free transfer as well. Free transfer has played under Antonio Conte. He's going to make him into a wing back because that's what Conte does. And, and it's just going to work. And Perisic, because he's a good player, right? I know we and he did that into Milan as well, playing as a left wing back exactly. as well. Exactly. And we, we were linked with Perisic for how long under Mourinho and stuff like that. And Perisic is still a good player. So I really feel like he's going to be, I don't think, I wouldn't say signing in a season, but I believe like it's going to be a really good signing where you're going to, you're going to see that Spurs team and you'll be like, oh, for the value of it, for a free transfer, that's a really good signing. And if you're thinking about the attack in front three, like we said as well, Richarlison, Son, Kane, and you've got Perisic one side and Jez Bentz the other side as well, an attack in five like that with uh, Benson Cora midfield and Helberg or even Basuma in that midfield, that is scary for anyone because you've got a proper balance in that, in that midfield and a proper balance in that attack and what you're actually seeing from all angles, basically. It's not just like one side is better than the other side. Like it was last season for Spurs. You can just rely on um, Son and Kane, not really uh, Lucas until Kulisewski came in back in uh, January as well, which is good to see. But no, that's a really good shout, Perisic. I'd like to see more of him. Again, we, we wanted him back in like 2018 under Mourinho, but it just never happened, unfortunately. He would have been a great winger to actually have watched for Man United as well. World Cup uh, finalist as well for Croatia. Uh, yeah, last one we've got is one to watch. So it can be a current player, it could be a new player, whoever you want to go for. Who's one player you want to watch out for this season or you should let our listeners know to watch out for? Um, Don't say Andres Pereira. Uh, I was going to say it. I was going to say it. <laughs> no, I, to be fair, I love, I love AP only because as, you know, as a kid watching like Emmy TV, he was one of the academy ones that went around and I have a theory that Mourinho ruined his career. Mm. I'm not going to say Pereira. Um, if I'm talking about United, I'll say Alejandro Ganacho. Ooh, I was that's Ganacho a good shot. Because, but I don't know how many minutes he's going to get. Mm. I feel like Ten Hag really likes him, and Ten Hag spoke about him in uh, after the game, and he looked really comfortable in that Rayo Vallecano game for its eighteen-year-old. He looked very comfortable. So I, did. It, it depends what his development is like because this guy's been called up for Argentina. He hasn't played yet, but he's been called up for Argentina. So clearly. He's on the national team radar already at this young age. And Man United need to reflect that, right? So I'm not sure whether he's... Because I don't think he's played a lot of under-23s. I know he's played a bit last season. But I don't want to dash him into the first team straight away. But if he does, I feel like he, I feel like he's capable. Footballing-wise, I feel like he's capable of doing it. And we see... if they're, Listen, we have that quote, if they're, if they're young enough, they're good enough. Or if they're good enough, they're young enough, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I was like, Garnacho, if he gets a lot of game time, I think he's going to be one to watch. Yeah, absolutely. From a Man United point of view as well, one to watch. I want to go for Jadon Sancho because I've been a fan of him since he went out to Bruce Dortmund and became a trailblazer for uh, British players going abroad and applying their trade, really, which would have been really good to see. Um, I think Aaron Hickey had been one of the later ones going out to Bologna last season. That was really good to see from Scotland um, as well. But Jadon Sancho, I want him to do it in the Premier League. I want him to be more of a goal threat, not just with goals, but mostly with assists as well, creating space, drawing fouls. The Jadon Sancho that we know and that we love, that we saw at Borussia Dortmund, that 
Man United fans were like, yeah, we've got to get him, we've got to get him, we've got to get him. The, the, the three years we waited for him, and it was only probably on the Ragnit we saw a bit, we saw glimpses of the real Jaden Sancho as well. So we did spend a, a good amount of money on him, but I do believe this is a season where it's going to be more make or break for Jaden Sancho than the other two, Martial and Rashford, because we have seen them um, turn up as well. And I remember a couple of years ago, I think we've seen this online as well, it's when Solskjaer was the manager. That was the front four that we did want under Solskjaer, the Fernandes behind the Sancho, Rashford and Martial to actually be our starting uh, attack, really. And we finally got it two years later and under a different manager. But I want to see Jaden Sancho turn up in this Premier League. I want him to bring the heat in this Premier League season so far. And I really want him to be someone that defences fear, not someone where they're like, oh, yeah, we know he's not accustomed to the Premier League just yet. We know we can um, just push him out to the wing and he'll lose the ball like he did, unfortunately, a lot fight for us last season. But yeah, um, from a non-Man United point of view, someone who I'm really looking forward to watching, really re- really more than anything, is I want to see more about Skamaka, the West Ham striker. I want to see if he's going to be starting for them. I want to see if he's going to be off the bench. I want to see if they're going to bring Antonio back to being a winger. But I like to see um, Skamaka a lot. I've, I've been looking forward to seeing how he does and hopefully he breaks that West Ham curse of them buying strikers all the time and not actually um, filling their duty. They had to get a form of winger. He actually played a right-back, uh, Antonio and the Pellegrini, to be, and then to become a striker. It's great to see, but that's my non-Man United player I want to watch. Mm, I think, uh, I don't want to say a Liverpool player, but I feel like he might have a breakout season. Mm. Ooh, Harvey Elliott. I like the way that they've been playing him as well, like as a centre-mid, like a right-attacking mid, basically, as well. So doubling up with Mohamed Salah like they did last season when he was back on form and I think they did that in the community shield as well but um, what excites you the most about Harvey Elliott um, for yourself? As you said I feel like I love players that can run that can dribble and dribble mm. with the ball and they can beat a man and find a part and I feel like Harvey Elliott is really good I feel like that Carvelio kid as well Yeah he's got he's got shades of Coutinho on him as well yeah. the way he just faints his body around can't do it with, with me but he faints it so well in preseason as well and I was thinking for a 19 year old and he was doing it in the championship as well. I feel like he's really—he's going to be. It's two two decent youngsters that are Liverpool, so it looks like Liverpool's future is is, is all right so far, which is annoying. But it, it is what it is, mate. And he just needs to step up, I guess. And yeah, exactly. And I'm looking forward to seeing how we step up because if we are going to step up this season, we're going to do it properly with with Ten Hag as our manager as well. So, um, but yeah, just before we wrap up the podcast, I just want to say thank you very much, Tony, for your time today. It's been great to. Uh, speak to you on the podcast it's been great to uh, learn more about your thoughts on football as well just um, just let our listeners know where they can find you and how they can follow you follow you throughout the season as well not just on talk sport but um, from over your your other social channels as well which would be great well, well Hamza thank you for having me uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Insta at T-O-N-I-A-F-O-K-E or if you want to listen to me talk about football or basketball American football or anything else you can follow at the zone LDN on Twitter and Instagram I'll only be listening to that uh, to your next podcast if you're going to be talking about the 3v3 in the Commonwealth Games that England won yesterday against Australia. Did you I, watch that yesterday? I didn't watch it. So <sighs> I, watch it to be, I know, I know. It's very Come on. That's, that's, that's the one that I was watching after I went to the Commonwealth Games yesterday as well. I went to the stadium and I went back home and I watched it because it was the first time in ages that we won a basketball event yeah. at Commonwealth Games. And it was in the last kind of second in overtime as well, which was great. So a proper... Um, to proper film type moment as well where it happened and I loved it it was great to see England win something in basketball which is great um, but no it's been a real pleasure talking to you Tony everyone thank you very much for listening um, do follow Tony on his socials that we mentioned we'll pop them in the bio below as well 
Um, Man United, we're going to do well this season. We're going to turn up the season. Jalen Sanchez bringing the heat this season. And I'm saying this in August because I know I'll get away with it in May. But yeah, everyone, thank you very much for listening. Tony, a pleasure as always. Take care and goodbye.